0: When I was a boy, I used to uh, used to read all about Edison and the Wright brothers and Mr. Ford. They were, they were my heroes. Rags to riches, that's not just the name of a book. That's what this country was all about. We invented the free enterprise system where anybody, no matter who he was, where he came from, what class he belonged to, if he came up with a better idea... About anything. There's no limit to how far he could go. I grew up a generation too late, I guess, because now the way the system works, the, the loner, the dreamer, the crackpot who comes up with some crazy idea that everybody laughs at, that later turns out to revolutionize the world, he's squashed. From above before he even gets his head out of the water. Because the bureaucrats, they'd rather kill a new idea, than let it rock the boat. If Benjamin Franklin were alive today, he'd be thrown in jail for sailing a kite without a license. <laughs> it's true. We're all puffed up with ourselves now because we invented the bomb. Drop the... Beat the daylight out of the Japanese, the Nazis. But a big business... Closes the door and the little guy with a new idea, we're not only closing the door on progress, but we're sabotaging everything that we fought for. Everything that the country stands for. And one day we're gonna find ourselves at the bottom of the heap instead of King of the Hill, having no idea how we got there, buying our radios and our cars from our former enemies. <laughs> I don't believe that's going to happen. I can't believe it, because if I ever stop believing the plain old common horse sense of the American people, there'd be no way I could get out of bed in the morning. Thank you.
1: Ever.
2: Amity, as you know, means friendship. All right, oh, good morning. Luke
1: Tucker, a man in his dreams. Well
2: spotted, Tim Riley. Good for you. All right there, that's a fantastic movie. One of the greatest movies ever made. Uh, Francis Ford Coppola made that film. I, uh, You know, there's been about 15 different times over the last month that I've wanted to play that. It, every day it seemed appropriate, but then every day it seemed like there was going to be another day not too far away where it seemed equally appropriate. Uh, I was going to play it on Friday because we had the Mythbusters thing coming up. You know, it that, that happened two days ago. I was going to play it uh, the, the, first, the first time the stock market imploded, the second time the stock market imploded, when they were debating um, bailing out businesses, when they were discussing bailing out automakers. I smiled it this morning and I just said, screw it! And it, you know, and it worked flawlessly today. Great movie. But, you know, like all great movies of that nature, it is simultaneously inspiring and depressing, that movie. Tucker, A Man and His Dream. So, uh, you really ought to see that. That's a fine film. It, Tucker, A Man and His Dream, not to get off on the serious uh, tip here, as the kids say. But, the, Tucker, A Man and His Dream is a great movie, but it's great in the same way that um, that Kevin Kline movie, Dave, is great. And Dave is one of my favorite movies. It really is.
3: I love that movie.
2: That's just a wonderful little film. That's the very definition of a wonderful little film. It's the little film that could but you watch it and it sort of it makes you glad to be an american and it sort of it puts a smile on your face a little skip in your step a song in your heart spring in your uh, a spring in your thing and a dip in your hip um, but then you watch it and you get depressed too because you realize it will never happen there is no way you can get charles Grodin into the white house to say who does these books anyway there you go tucker a man of his dream which the other reason i played that today and then we'll plunge on into uh, tuesday's program is because when we were at the Mythbusters thing, I think I mentioned this yesterday, we're backstage getting ready to go on, and Jason Crump from Vanished Twin Photography fell into this big conversation with Adam Savage from Mythbusters about Jason's camera and the kind of camera he was going to be shooting with, and then that led inexorably into this discussion about the guy who invented intermittent windshield wipers, who's in that new movie starring Greg Kinnear, which looks to be exceptional, by the way. So, All right, there you go. Hey, kids, it's Tuesday, and welcome to Day 12. It is the Rick Emerson Radio Program, an excursion into genius... Pure, distilled, unfettered genius. Super genius, one might say. It's 503-733-2970. Thank you for coming along today. It's 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. If you want to get on board with your comments, questions, clarifications, kvetches, kvetches, two cents, ruminations, ponderings, musings, limericks, iambic pentameter, what have ye. It's 503-733-2970. You can also email if you like. It's rick at... RickEmerson.com, Rick at RickEmerson.com, Tim at 970.am, Sarah at 970.am, or Richie with a T at 970.am. This just in, Richie's pants are in fact up and secured around his waist today. I will let you know if that changes. All right, uh, let's see. Well, uh, first, big news today, uh, Henry Rollins is going to join us. Two o'clock, uh, Storm just interviewed him, I think, two days ago for the, oh, I don't want to get this wrong. I think it's for the Willamette, I apologize, Storm, I'm be getting that wrong. I think it's for the Willamette. I should check, but Storm just interviewed uh, Rollins. I think, I think Sunday she did that, and she was all kind of, you know, Storm is, you know, Storm is Storm, but she was, I think, a little intimidated because he's just such a, such an intense presence. I mean, he really is just a very weighty and and heavy kind of guy. So. I didn't
1: think anybody could intimidate Storm. Uh,
2: it, you know, she and I talked about it. We talked about it. Uh, I think the night that we did the VP debate here, and she's like, so Rick, you you interviewed Henry Rollins, right? And I said, well, yeah, twice. And she, how'd that go? I said, well, the first time, badly. Uh, The second time, much better. And I said, i got a third time coming up, which could be the tiebreaker. So if I suck today, then it's all, you know. And it just goes in the loss column. Um, Anyway, so she she did an interview with Rollins that I think is going to be running this week. I'll find out where. Uh, Henry Rollins, they'll be joining us today, 2 o'clock. Don't forget, we're going to be giving away a pair of tickets to his spoken word uh, as well. That is next Monday, Monday, October 13th, at the Newmark Theatre. Monday, October 13th, at the Newmark Theatre. Henry Rollins hitting the road with a brand new Election Time talking tour. Tickets available at Ticketmaster.com, and we will be giving those away as well. Uh, so that's coming up uh, later on today, as well as the interview with Rollins himself. Uh, Cena Radio correspondent Lisa Desjardins joining us today. Let me read it. Lisa Desjardins. Uh, Steve Kastenbaum joining us, and CNN Radio correspondent James Roop Working backward, Roop's going to be talking about that quintuple homicide or whatever it is with a guy, his wife, and uh, oh, some of the kids, yeah. I guess
1: we talked about that a little bit yesterday,
2: yeah, it was it was sort of breaking news yesterday. like talked about it, and I guess uh Rup will have the uh Rup will have the wrap up on that and it it's sort of i mean you know it's a big and sort of awful story in any in any event, but it but I guess it was directly tied to the to this guy's finances and just the you know the economy going belly up, so anyway, so we'll talk to Jim Roop about that. uh, we'll also talk to Steve Kastenbaum and we will talk to Lisa about tonight's debate. Which is between John? Mc- it's it's. I was paying so little attention to this debate because we're not going to be carrying it. If it's not going to be on the station, it doesn't matter to, to me or to anybody.
3: I, so, I completely forgot it was today.
2: Me too. So we carried uh, we carried the vice presidential debate. We are not going to be carrying tonight's, but we will be carrying the final vice presidential debate, which is uh, or presidential debate, which is next Wednesday. Uh, but tonight, McCain goes up against Obama. We have some shocking John McCain news uh, that we'll get to later on. Um, And um, I guess CBS News has it uh, tied up, and by tied up I mean within the margin of error. CBS News this morning was saying that the Obama-Biden ticket is up above the McCain-Palin ticket by four points. But four points is in fact the margin of error, Mm -hmm. which means that it could, you know, it is a statistical tie. Uh, Let's be clear about something, John McKay's not going to win. But it is at this point a statistical tie in terms of nationwide polling. What else coming up today? Uh, We'll do our 60-second contest for the Rollins tickets. We have... Both ends of the spectrum musically today, both yin and yang, both alpha and omega, both beginning and end. We have the worst song you've ever heard, and this one sort of breaks my heart because it's from somebody that I really love. Richie is uh, Richie is listening to it right now, uh, just to give it a once-over. Make sure that there's no uh, profanity. And I have to say, it's difficult to suss out whether there is any objectionable content in today's worst song you've ever heard because it is almost unintelligible from front to back. That does not stop it, however, from being horrible. So we will have It's the Worst Song You've Ever Heard. We'll also have uh, another installment of The Greatest Songs Ever Made. Uh, That's coming up. Your phone calls and more. All calls today taken within ten minutes, ladies and gentlemen. And one random on-air caller today wins a pair of tickets to the Salem Mix and Mash All Access, uh, which is uh, an artistic and musical happening. So that comes up this weekend in Salem. The Salem Mix and Mash, which is uh, artists and musicians of every stripe and variety performing all weekend long. So one random on-air caller today wins a pair of wristbands to that. All right. Who's excited for today's show? Me, me, me.
1: Fantastic.
2: Me. Tim Riley's working on the following stories for your edification.
1: Uh-oh. Breaking, breaking news here out of Longview. A man had this underway. Hold on. Do I need to do a breaking news, Sander, this really? early? If you want to. Wait. Hold on.
2: Uh, and... And... we go.
1: A manhunt is underway in Longview after two people are shot. An inmate takes a cellmate hostage in Clark County Jail An Oregon School Bands. Let's see. Those clown posses. What's the name of that clown posse?
2: Band? I just like the idea of clown posses. It's like a whole bunch of guys in floppy shoes and a red nose being deputized by the sheriff.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, insane, the insane clown, clown posse. posse clothing. Yes. Uh, Florida Strip Club offers free flu shots. The Federal Reserve invokes depression era buying to scoop up massive amounts of junk debt. A man named Fox runs over a box. Obama fights the Sarah Palin smears. Texas cheerleaders are in hot water for staging a mock execution at a pep rally and Meat Loaf is sick.
2: Sick of oh just sick. Sick. All right.
1: I got a big... Did you ever do
2: that thing uh, where you wake up in the morning and you get sort of a... You know, in the morning you feel kind of bad anyway. No, You know, you just got out of bed and you haven't had your coffee and you, whatever. But then you get a head rush and you are so... Uh, I, you're so far still in the slumber uh, part of, you know, your cycle. In other words, you haven't completely woken up. And so you're kind of out of it anyway. And the combination of still being kind of asleep, not having had your coffee, and then if you get up and you walk right up to the kitchen like I did this morning to feed the dogs... Uh, the combination of all of those things and the head rush of immediately getting out of bed, you do that thing of you kind of you get woozy and wobbly, and you have to grab the counter for a moment. And for just a second, you're convinced that you're about to die. You are convinced that that's it. It is, as Red Fox used to say, the big one, and you are about to uh, you're about to go to that uh, that great big uh, scrap metal pile in the sky. That was me this morning. So my whole day started off kind of wobbly. I didn't sleep very well. The dog was running around the bedroom and leaping onto things and off of things, and making a whole lot of noise, and just... I think he's jealous of the other dog, or he feels threatened by the other dog, and I know I'm anthropomorphizing an animal, but I think he's got some sort of weirdness with, with Philo, the second dog in the house. So Max is doing this thing of... He's trying to be a rabble-rouser. He's just causing a ruckus all the time. And so I slept really badly. Then I get up this morning, and I think I didn't eat enough for dinner. So I got kind of the weird, whatever, the low blood sugar, or the just, you know, know, I got the low energy because I haven't eaten right, and I haven't had any coffee. And I had to do something, I had to go work on something this morning, so I had to get up extra early, and I was running a little bit late from the minute my feet hit the floor, so I didn't sit on the edge of the bed and acclimate myself to to being upright. So my alarm goes off, and I immediately, bam, like a shot to the kitchen. And I got out of the kitchen, and I was, I mean, I hadn't gotten three steps uh, onto the linoleum, and immediately I got that, whoa, sensation because all the blood is draining out of your head, and you start to sway back and forth and see dead relatives. I was leaning forward of my hands on the kitchen counter this morning, and for all the world, I felt like I was going to fall over and land on my face. And then you start thinking, this is not how I want to die. I do not want to die in alligator boxer shorts in the kitchen with a, hand, a handful of dog food. This is not how I envision the end of my life. So, in any anyway. of So that's how my day started. But you know what? Ever since then, it's been even, it's. Uphill, downhill. Which is better? I forget. Uphill. Uphill. But uphill sounds like a struggle. If it's all uphill, that's a struggle. Right? That's hard.
3: Correct. I don't know, If I think them things go downhill, that means that they're getting, yes. that they're going poorly.
2: If you could have the rest of your day go downhill or uphill, what would you rather it be?
1: I'd rather go uphill.
2: Do we agree that uphill is better?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: We do have I that. T- so. We have that majority rules thing here, where if two of us agree on something, then it, it is the case. Okay, so from now on, when things are going well, they're going uphill. Anyway, so it is uphill from uh, from that moment on. We're joined today, as always, by the lovely and talented Sarah Dillon. Hello, how are you?
3: Hello, good. You're stressing me out. You sound like a crazy person, and then you're like. When you talk about anxiety, because I get anxiety, too. And then when you talk about anxiety, it makes me feel even more anxious.
2: It was No, I'm past it, but it was a weird confluence of anxiety. You know, and especially when you sleep badly, you don't process things quite as quickly. And so it takes you longer to wake up. And you know, it's like in the middle of the night when you will start to stress out about something that really is just insignificant. Mm. Like you will lay there at four in the morning thinking about a puppy that ran away when you were was, in third grade. I was talking
3: to my friend Lisa this morning. She woke up in the middle of the night last night and was stressing out. And I'm like, I did too.
2: About something tiny. It's like a princess in the pea thing. Something totally
3: tiny that has nothing to do with anything. And I woke up at like three o'clock in the morning and could not fall back asleep. Because I was like working myself into a frenzy about something that I have no control over.
2: Totally. Or about something that like you would never, ever, ever worry about. I mean, that's the deal, right? Like, again, I think that's why the princess and the pea is sort of a metaphor because it it is what I think Nietzsche called... Uh, I think he called your sleeping time the wolf hour. Because that is when you would be laying there trying to rest, trying to relax, trying to attain some state of calm. And that's when you start thinking about... Wait a minute, but if the universe is expanding at both ends, and if the universe is expanding at a rate that cannot even be measured by science, and if we all came from the Big Bang, which is a finite amount of material... Wait, hold on. So there's only a finite amount of material from the Big Bang, but the universe is rapidly expanding so fast that we can't even calculate it in all directions, which means that that finite amount of material is going to be used up. And then at some point, the universe won't have anything else with which to expand, and then we're all going to be torn asunder, and then I'm going to fall into the middle of a white dwarf. Oh, God! You know, and and you look over, and then, you know, your wife is just... Yeah, so... And then, so you sweep badly, and then when you get up the next morning... You're not still wondering about the universe tearing itself apart, but you are, in fact, fatigued. Mm. And then you get up, blood drains out of your head, you walk to the kitchen, and you feel like you're about to die.
3: Wow, that's awesome. If you're me. You're helping me with my anxiety. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry.
2: I have something that will cheer you up, though.
3: I hope so because you're kind of making me all panicky. Oh
2: no, I'm not. I'm not in a bad mood, but uh, but I did start off the morning being a little bit anxious. See, yeah. now you were fine when I came in. Now I've actually transferred well, my anxiety to you.
3: Like you're no, because yesterday I was like having like a really I don't know like a stressful day, and then came here, and then I ended up working at my second job. I Actually, bartended all day yesterday. How did that go? It was awesome.
2: Now see, uh, see, that would stress me out. See, even hearing you describe having to go be a bartender Oh, I love it. See, but you love it, but even thinking about that, I feel like uh, like Lucy on the uh, on the candy assembly line, just stuffing chocolates into my mouth to try to keep up. You describing what it takes to be a bartender and don't get I know you love it. You undoubtedly you're very good at it. I know you feel like you're doing a great job and I'm sure you are. Just thinking about it makes me stressed out. Mm-hmm. But I mean, you seem to. Uh, it seems no, to be the thing at which you excel.
3: Well, that's why I like, you know, like this job, and you know, like lots of other like high stress jobs, because I like, I really like the excitement. I like keeping busy, and I like, um, I like the high pressure situations. I, I feel like I thrive in those, and that's, that's exactly what this is, and that's exactly what, um, you know, like, being a bartender, like trying to do like ten things at once. I tried. I had to make my first martini yesterday. Really? It was kind of
2: fun. Hey, let me ask you this. Now you know a little bit about what I like. What I like martinis, because I hear they're bitter. No, I know it makes me less than a man that I've never had straight one. alcohol. All right. But I, I mean... Do you
3: like shots of vodka? I, uh, so, no. I, well you, I'm not a big martini fan. Yeah.
2: No, like I... I uh, I'm
3: usually... Yeah, and, and plus they get you like super drunk super quickly, and I, I, I need something that I can pace myself. More.
2: No, see, and I'm not interested in pacing myself. See, someday when I become an alcoholic, I want to know where to start. Because, you know, I got that whole thing about drugs, that someday when I become a junkie, you know, you start with aspirin, and then within six months, I'm just, you know, shooting heroin into my ears or whatever. So. You should
3: probably start out with beer. Really? I'm thinking. Yeah. Okay.
2: Start with beer. Start with beer. And with then, Everclear. Then
3: you'll move to, like, gin and tonics. Then you'll move to vodka tonics. Then you'll move to vodka sodas. Then you'll move to martinis.
2: You should create some sort of alcoholism flowchart. You know what I mean? Just, you know, for people who want to learn to abuse their bodies in that fashion, exactly, you know, what, what the methodology might be, what steps they would take.
3: Exactly. You have to start out with like Bush Light in college and then kind of build up from there. And
2: then at Jager, Jägermeister is, the, is at the end or whatever.
3: Yeah, you go from like, yeah, Bush Light's like a fancy beer, to, yeah, from fancy beer to gin and tonics. No, like, yeah, skip like rum and coke and stuff. That, or that, the, is just or
2: that Admiral Nelson rum they sell at the, at, the, at the booze shop that's like on the, like it's below the bottom shelf. You have to take floor tiles out to actually find it. It costs like a dollar fifteen. All right. Uh, it's five zero three seven three three two nine seventy. So, I feel
3: better now that we've discussed it. You gave me your anxiety, but now I feel better. Well, no.
2: Here's the thing. You got to go give it to somebody else. You know what That's I mean? Uh, this would be like uh, like one of those uh, kindergarten games where you got to like get rid of the hot potato. So you got to find. We should bring Richie uh, in here later on and make him anxious.
3: There's no way we can make Richie anxious.
2: Who can we make anxious? Lisa Wood? Can I make she bet she we could. Ma- sure. I bet we could make her anxious really easily. You know, I bet she's listening. We, we we wouldn't have to bring her in here. All right. Yeah, let's... Well, she
3: must be pretty nervous about these debates because a lot of people are kind of listening to the Republicans <laughs> plant on things. And that might, you know, totally devastate the, the future of our country and it's our true. economy.
2: It's true. And I that's mean... not even to mention the shoes she's wearing. Oh, my gosh. Oh. I know. All right. Uh, it's 503-733-2970. We'll get these calls. I'm going to uh, play you something that will make you smile, though. If you are, and I'm speaking now to everybody, not just to Sarah and myself or the two crazy people in the room. Um... If you are feeling, for whatever reason, uh, anxious, stressed, worried, uh, agitated, unnerved, disturbed, uh, anything like that. And I do think there's a little bit of crazy in the air. Would you agree with that? Maybe not as bad as there was last week. But us talked about this yesterday. He did a whole thing about, you know, are you stressed out? Are you feeling kind of a low-grade cumulative panic right now? And I think a lot of people are. Yes. Um, so I think there there is uh, there is a little bit of just... You know, there's a little bit of unnerve out there the, uh, out there in the ether that everybody's absorbing. So we're going to play you something that's going to put a smile on your face here in a few. You look perplexed, Tim.
1: Uh, I'm looking at this headline from Bush. Bush pledges, quote, We're going to come, unquote, this economic crisis. Okay.
2: I am reading now the headline directly from CNN. It says, Bush says, quote, we are going to come this economic crisis. That is a quote, by the way. Quoting now from CNN and News Network.
1: Uh, is this network. a typo? I don't think CNN would make it. A...
2: That is from CNN and News Network being broadcast here on uh, KCMD Portland, a news talk radio station licensed to operate in the public interest, convenience and necessity. Bush says, quote, we're going to come this economic crisis. You just put that together uh, yourself. All right, do these calls, and we'll play something amusing. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Well, is that a command? Like, are we supposed to? I don't know. Should we get started on that now? Mm -hmm. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello.
4: Hey, they they caught the the guy, actually, up here in Longview.
2: Oh, excellent. So Longview is safe once again.
4: Right, and I've always kind of wondered that. that It it, it already started and finished pretty quickly. Maybe about a half an hour after he shot them, they caught him. And so from shot- a 19-year-old kid that shot his ex-girlfriend and a relative, I believe.
2: And so they've already nailed him, though. Yeah. So people don't but- to be afraid that he's roaming the streets.
4: Right, no. Um All right. But if you guys got the news that quickly about that it happened, how come it never comes through that he got caught that fast?
2: I don't really know the answer to that. I uh, We merely read the news, and badly <laughs> at that, sir. All right, all right, well, all right. Go. We're, we're not we're there safe. personally. Yeah. From Shot to Cotton, 25 minutes, Longview, on the case.
3: We just enjoy the propaganda part. We don't really enjoy the that's,
2: revolution. Totally. No, that's exactly, that's like when a newspaper smears you on page one, and then they put the retraction, like with the grocery ads. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello.
5: Hey, Rick, it's CJ.
2: Rick Emerson, not a white beater. Yes?
5: Uh, I just want to let you know, I sent you a few emails on this this morning. Uh, over the weekend, I discovered someone, a company, well, not a company, but these guys recreated the arcade game from the Last Starfighter perfectly.
2: Really? You mean, uh-huh. you know, the Last Starfighter is in Greeting, you, uh-huh. greeting Starfighter. You, Greeting Starfighter. You have been recruited by the Star League to defend the frontier against Zer and the code Armada.
5: Exactly. It okay. even has the soundbite.
2: So, is this they've replicated the game that Alex Rogan plays in the trailer park? Correct. That is fantastic.
5: Uh, you can Google Rogue Synapse. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And you know, it's like brain synapse.
2: All right. Genius. Uh,
5: and they even have plans on how to recreate the arcade cabinet.
2: All right. Um, so can I just buy it ready-made, or do, do no, I have to, like, make free. it myself? It's freeware. No, but I guess what I'm saying is, like, if I send them, like, a thousand bucks, will they just send me the game? Uh,
5: no, I mean, you download... It's a 20-megabyte yes. video game. You download off their website. No, I understand I mean, that. But
2: I'm saying, I'm saying could, if I just sent the money, are these guys who could build a fully functioning arcade version of it, do you suppose? No,
5: I think it's just guys who get it for the hell of it.
2: All right. Well, fair enough. Okay, somebody really ought to start cranking that out in production, like... But whatever that company is, like Warner Brothers or you know, whoever that film company is, they ought to start making the actual stand-up arcade game for the Last Starfighter. I'd pay for that.
5: All right, uh, and one last thing before I go. Yes. Um You know how you're into Hunter Thompson? Yes, I am, sir. Um, you know that Venture Brothers set I gave you uh, a few weeks ago?
2: Yes, sir. This is uh, this is uh, you were the guy who dropped off the Family Guy's
1: DVD for me, yes? Yes,
5: um, on an episode called A Fat and Nanny 911. Uh, on that set I gave you, uh, the opening sequence is a character that's a parody of Hunter Thompson makes Hunter gather. Excellent. And I think it would just make an excellent intro. All
2: right. I will uh, We'll take it under advisement, sir. Thank you. All right. Bye. All right. Thank you. All right. So there you go. So uh, before we do anything else, and don't forget, coming up today, Lisa Desjardins, Steve Kastenbaum, James Roop, Henry Rollins coming up later on. We'll give away a pair of tickets to that as well. Tim Riley at the Ministry of Truth. Uh, Nina Parker from TMZ.com. Worst song you've ever heard and the greatest songs ever made. I now present something to make you smile. Um, As you undoubtedly know, we air the Tom Leica show weekdays 3 to 7, immediately following this very fine radio program. Uh, Tom, of course, and Tom has actually been on in Portland, I think, longer than I have. I think he's been here. Yes. I think Tom has been on in Portland since 96, something like that. Mm -hmm. So he's, uh, you know, he's a Portland institution at this point. He had the greatest caller yesterday. And I think, as Tom himself has said and would tell you, part of the great thing about this job, and I don't necessarily mean not specifically, but just talk radio in general, is you get exposed to the widest cross-section of people. I mean, sometimes there are people who are fascinating. Sometimes, like yesterday, we had that guy whose grandfather faked his own death and had three different wives. Sometimes you talk to people that are... You know, they have a story that is poignant. Sometimes they are people that are infuriating. Sometimes it's people that have a, you know, a point of view that challenges your own. And sometimes... It's just guys where it's like you wonder how they even were able to operate the phone to, to like, get on the show in the first place. Like, you wonder how they got to the phone and dialed it without injuring themselves. Um, And Tom has said that that is is a great part of that job, and it really is true, that you do get to just, you draw from every end of the gene pool. So, ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, uh, from the Tom Likas show yesterday, and the Tom Likas show which airs weekdays 3 to 7, right here following the Rick Emerson show, I give you probably the best call to any radio program you're going to hear all month. Uh, this is some guy yesterday on the Tom Likas show. Danny on the Tom Likas show.
6: Hey, Tom, what's up? Uh, well,
2: oh, I'm sorry, I should, I should say, by way of introduction, uh, the topic of the hour is he's looking for people, guys or girls, uh, who um, are currently, you know, like serial philanderers. You know, it's like, are you cheating? And if so, why? It was some whole thing about... You know why is it that you're cheating, so this guy called about that topic, Danny all the time like his show. hey,
6: Tom, what's up? uh well, it's pretty it's simple on my part of why I cheat uh my my girlfriend doesn't have the biggest boobs ever, but just last weekend, I actually cheated on her, and I cheated on the girl with the hugest boobs I could find,
7: so why don't you just not be with a girlfriend?
6: oh well, this is why because I'm. She's a pretty smart girl, and she's already like up in the ranks in college and stuff. So I'm just being smart about it. And what are you out.
7: getting out of that? What? Was that? What are you getting out of that?
6: Oh, well, we're both trying to be financially secure for the future, financially secure for the future, and we're just trying to be cool. But I mean, just once in a while, you know, you just kind of
7: why don't you buy Why don't you find a financially successful woman with big boobs?
6: Oh man. Well, because I'm more of an ass guy, but you need boobs sometimes.
7: Uh, you didn't answer my question.
6: Uh, because girls with ass and boobs at the same time just don't look right, and I'd rather have the ass.
7: So if you'd rather have ass, why don't you have a girlfriend with ass or a girl? Why do you have to be in a relationship? Nah. Like, for example, why can't you be successful financially on your own?
6: Well, I I am not I am pretty successful right now, but like it, it gets to be better off with someone else. But oh. you're
7: not because if you get divorced, you have to split everything uh, down the middle anyway.
6: Well, I'm not married though. No, so. I mean, but
7: <laughs> then you don't have her money. She has her money, and you have your money.
6: Yeah, well, she's pretty smart. So we're both kind of up We're cool about that.
7: But why do you need to get married? Well, we don't. We're we were not even talking about so it. So really. why do you need to be with someone? I don't get it. Uh you're not good enough on your own? No, well, I mean I I like the girl a
6: lot. She's cool, but I mean, you know, I'm telling you, you just you just need that those booths sometimes, you know.
7: Well <laughs> uh doesn't make any sense to me, but what can
2: I say? That's your problem. There you go, ladies and gentlemen. God love have like us Uh so that's uh there you go. And if that doesn't make you smile, you know what? Your smiling muscle is broken. All right. I'm going to place in to break. We'll come back. Lisa Desjardins and McCarthy. And one more time, kids.
6: I mean, you know, I'm telling you, you just, you just need those boots sometimes, you know?
2: It's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Thank you for coming along. It's 503 733 A few moments, we'll talk to CNN Radio Correspondent Lisa Desjardins. Coming up later on, Jim Roop, Nina Parker from TMZ.com. Uh, we'll talk to uh, punk icon and uh, raconteur Henry Rollins. Uh, in the 2 o'clock hour, we'll play 60 Seconds uh, of Speaking. I should just call it that because of Sarah Palin. I'll just drop the G. 60 Seconds of Speaking and Thinking and Talking. Uh, For Henry Rollins tickets later on Tim Riley, the Ministry of Truth And all of that Let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show From the South CNN radio correspondent And mellow man of the world Ed McCarthy Hello sir Rick, how are you today? I am fantastic How's life in the South, my friend? Oh, it is just wonderful is it in fact wonderful? What would you say the temperature is right now if you were to be outside?
8: If I were to be outside right now, it probably would be about seventy-five degrees. We mm-hmm. uh, we had a temperature yesterday range about eighty-four. It was beautiful, absolutely beautiful. We're getting uh, gonna get a little rain, which is what we need. or might get an inch of rain or so. So we're pretty happy about that. All we're right. in drought conditions here.
2: Can't ask for more than that, my friend. Uh, the weather going the way you wanted to, and uh, you know, working in the in the in, in the plush CNN center, which is home to the world's largest. Escalator. I mean, life doesn't get a whole lot better. You have seen that
8: escalator, I take it.
2: See, I've only seen pictures of it, and uh, I've talked to Amanda Moyer, and she sort of taunts me with it. She kind of she kind of lords it over me that you know she's there and I'm not because because I'm fascinated by. I'm fascinated by records that are held by, like, world's blankiest blank, but it's something that seems, like, really unimportant. You know, like when someone I have grown I the world's heaviest papaya. Like, that's so much more impressive to me than the world's tallest man. You know, I mean, when you're boasting about something that really no one cares about, that kind of makes it more interesting. So I've got to get down there at some point.
8: Yeah, that's where the tours start on that uh, escalator, by the way.
2: How long does it take to get from the bottom to the top?
8: Oh, it takes you probably about a good uh, ten minutes or so. Are you kidding me? No, they they roll it up there. It's it's a long
2: way. A ten minute escalator ride? That's right. My feeble human brain can't even wrap itself around that fact, Ed McCarthy. Um, <laughs>
8: as long as you don't have uh, fear of heights, you're okay.
2: So my, uh, I was going to try to make some bad pun about uh, fear of heights in the stock market and fall. Anyway, I was talking to my wife last night, and you know, my wife and I. We started, I think, doing what a lot of couples do, which is every night we have these sort, of, these sort of mutual reassurance sessions or something where we're trying to remain strong about finances because I think a lot of people are facing this economy that is, as they say, trending downward right now. And the temptation, I think, for a lot of people is, well, look, i got to pull my money out. I've got I to liquidate. i got to get that cash out of there. And my, my wife and I sort of have these nightly huddle sessions where we go, okay, now look, it's going to rebound at some point, and in the meantime – our 401K's purchasing power is up. That's like the big mantra at our house. The purchasing power is up, so don't liquidate. Leave your money there. It'll get better eventually. And yeah. I think a lot of people are having that conversation about that, would you say?
8: I would. In fact, they're having that conversation today on Capitol Hill, and uh, we had uh, Congressman uh, Miller from California, George Miller, who's the chairman of the Education and Labor Committee, uh, talking about uh, this mess. And then they had uh, one of the top congressional budget office guys. Now, these are the, the bean counters. But when you look at the situation, he says that the pension plans have lost as much as $2 trillion the past 15 months. So Peter orzag uh, testifying before that House panel today, he says that uh, many workers are likely going to have to hold off on of major purchases and delay their retirements. Now, you know, for a lot of people who are getting close to that magical age, you know, we know that when it comes to Social Security, they're always telling you, well, you know, you've got to probably work till you're 67 or so, and then, you know, then you retire. But, you know, right. if you want to retire at 62, you're going to have to take a pretty big cut. Uh, in Social Security, but, you know, other people had hoped on counting on their 401Ks, and now you've got this situation where they're just absolutely getting battered. I talked to a woman uh, just last week who told me she lost $13,000 in a week. Mm. And so she's, you know, and she was ready to, to retire very, very close to retirement. Now people have to reassess uh, what they're going to do.
2: You know, my wife was saying that the, the one of the sort of miseries of this whole thing for her was, and you know, and everybody understands that all of these things do inherently come with some risk, but my wife was lamenting the fact that, uh, you know, on in, in a particular couple of days, my wife lost uh, X thousand dollars and she was actually saying, she said the worst part of it for her, she's like, you know what, she's like, I lost X thousand dollars in, you know, in however many days, and she's like, it's not even like I went out and bought like a brand new television with that, she's like, I have nothing, she's like, I should have just taken that money out six months ago. And gone and, like, blown it at the craps table. At least I'd have some fun to show for it. So that is the worst part to her.
8: Yeah, you get taxed on that, too. You take that money out, and, and, you know, that's the biggest penalty is uh, is being taxed uh, heavily. But by the same token, now people are looking at it and saying, well, you know, I'm worse than being taxed. Now I'm totally getting shafted here because I'm losing all of this. Uh, All right. Well, it's a big mess. We hope it will get better, but uh, no guarantees.
2: On that downer of a note, let me ask you this, by the way. Did you know that there was a, that there are paper towels that are microwave-safe and paper towels that are not? Did not. I don't even understand how that could be. I thought unless something had water in it, it couldn't cook. I thought a microwave couldn't set anything on fire if it didn't have moisture. Uh, always fun
8: to put aluminum foil in a microwave and see what happens. There you go.
2: Man after my own heart. Thank you, Ed. Okay, Ed, There you go. CNN radio correspondent Ed McCarthy. My wife was making a, a turkey bacon last night, which is... You know, I don't even know. That just seems like an abomination under the Lord. I mean, you know, either eat bacon or don't eat bacon. Make some, cook up turkey and call it bacon. That's just turkey wrong. Bacon. I
3: don't think I've had turkey bacon. Is it good? I
2: mean, you know, it's okay, but I mean, that what is the like point the of that? Stuff. Well, I mean, what is it? Is the is the point presumably that it's better for you? I mean, I must I think Seamus actually, uh, our P1 in Colorado, put some. He made some blog post the other day about how now he only eats turkey bacon. And you know, Seamus is all man. Uh, so I guess he must be doing it because some some sissy nonsense well I don't want to die of a heart attack, you know, or whatever, which is... In of yeah, saying what, a, what a pansy. I'm, you don't have to eat a rasher of bacon a day, but if one is going to... Let me put it this way, Sarah. It would be like you going out and asking for alcohol-free vodka. You know what I mean? No, no, no. When you give me that vodka cranberry, make sure there's no alcohol. I mean, well, one shouldn't be consuming a fifth of vodka a night, at least not every night, but... When one has a libation, one wants to drink deep of the cup of life. One doesn't, you know, you you suck deep the marrow uh, of life. You you know, there's you, you don't just look at it. And that's what eating that's what eating turkey turkey bacon really is. It's looking at the marrow of life and then shaking your head and going, not for me, thanks. I'm gonna go buy some I'm gonna go buy some khakis. You know? You know, don't be that guy. All right, Well, in any event, let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show from the Hill. CNN Radio correspondent Lisa Desjardins. Long time no talk. Where you been, sister?
9: Hey, guys. How you? I, you know, I was here in Nashville. It was sort of a classic. Um, I, had, I had landed, and I wasn't on the sheet and all of that, so I've just kind of been uh, traveling, mostly, to and from debates.
2: This doesn't make any sense. You, I know. So you were... I don't,
9: it's, all, it's all messy. I'm almost hesitant to even get into this. It, it, you know, as, I mean, they, you uh, you know, been... it got a little messy last week on this.
2: I mean, this isn't like Air Force One where you've been on a plane flying around for seven know, days without landing, right? Well,
9: you know, this is the problem is I think we've got to figure out a way that, you know, I am available sometimes, but I'm not. They don't put me on the morning prep sheets so that you guys don't necessarily know. And then Tyler is trying to give me some downtime even when, you know, when I'm kind of like, no, I want to work and work and work. So it's all—it's all kind
2: of that. You know, uh, I will say that that is—you uh, know—that is one of the things that uh, one of the many things that is great about you is that your work ethic, which I admire, which I identify with. I was actually having that—I was actually having that conversation uh, with somebody this morning about uh, about something else. I'm—I'm I'm kind of doing this—I'm doing this separate project, this non CBS right. Radio project, right, and right. um, and and we were having the discussion like, so let us know when you went time off and we'll arrange for somebody to cover. And I'm like, time off? No, that's. <laughs> The time off is for pansies. Rick Emerson works, <laughs> uh, you know. So
9: exactly, uh, exactly. I feel it, but uh, Tyler, Tyler was trying to give me some, uh, you know, a couple hours here and there, and it, and it always seems to fall during the hours that I would be on air with you. Know, so it's uh, yeah, that's that's. He really doesn't understand
2: happens. people like us, Lisa. You know, you and <laughs> well, I. He
9: understands us too
10: well.
2: You know, you and I we're we're a breed apart. We walk on our own path.
10: <laughs> that's long... right.
2: On a long road of suffering with no turning back, walking always toward a horizon of... Damn, Um, I lost it at the end. (laughs) You were so close. I tried to go all Cormac McCarthy there, and it just failed me at the end.
9: (laughs) I was waiting to jump in, and I... uh, uh
10: Uh-oh.
2: All right. Well, so let's just dive right into this. Okay. Uh, I'm going to ask you something. Great. uh, Sort of Woodward style, and then you can answer this however you'd like. Okay. So, do you know... Right now, what John McCain story I'm thinking about?
9: Which John McCain story you're thinking about right now? Do you
2: know what... Yes, I I
9: can guess. uh, I'm going to guess.
2: And it uh, it rhymes sort of with Horseshack from uh, Welcome Back, Cotter?
9: No, I was completely wrong.
2: Okay. Um, So there is, I do believe, uh, out there on the the Intertron, although I think it has now been... Oh,
9: I do know what story you're thinking about now. I can't believe I didn't guess this. They they claim that it's...
2: And, and I came into the party pretty late. I got, I was, I've was i been running behind. I've been playing a little bit of catch-up, as Gary Cole says in Office Space. So I came to the party a little late this morning, but apparently uh, there has now been, they say, some verification. And again, I'm only repeating what I've heard. I don't know that it's true. Right. They say that there's been some verification that during the first presidential debate with Barack Obama that McCain was caught at least twice um, under his breath muttering the word... Uh, the less polite word for what Colonel Potter on MASH used to call horse pucky. Right. So, uh what what have you heard about this and do you care at all and can I make you care if you don't?
9: Yeah, you know, I, I think that um I I have not heard anything that makes me think it's true. Okay. But but, you know, I haven't played back the tape. I've got you know, I've got the transcripts. It's definitely not in the transcripts. I would have hoped we would have noticed. Um I I do not remember that, and I felt like I was listening pretty closely but i I could have missed it and like i said i 'm looking for evidence that it's true haven't found it um haven't refuted it personally, though.
2: You'll understand if I continue to believe that it's true and, in fact, spread yes. the story that it is.
9: Yes, and you're lucky that I haven't refuted it yet, so that you can go on believing with that. You know, I have a feeling that this is all based, basically, uh, not on anything that McCain said or uttered, but uh, just basically his uh, his the the eyeball, the eyeball, the hairy eyeball looks that he was kind of kind of given. The hairy squinty eyeball. A little bit, you know, and I think he would probably say that that's not what that was. But, but you know, definitely uh, many people on both sides of the aisle have said, yeah, he did not seem to be exceedingly warm toward his opponent. Uh, you know, John McCain,
2: doesn't John, John McCain strike you, and this is an analogy I use a lot, about this sort of grandfather who, you know, loves you a lot but shows that by constantly being brusque and mean to you? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs>
9: not that i think he's closer to the you know come on over johnny and grill a steak with me i think he's i think he's closer to that guy in any other time and i think however um everything changes uh when you have a candidate who has decided uh he, he's going to do what, he, when he, he's going to do whatever he wants, needs to do to win which which it seems like and it also seems like barack obama is doing that now too right. but you also have uh with with john mccain um a, a candidate who i think is uh it, it has it kind of just is, is losing, honestly, and I I think that that is what that is going to make that makes candidates more angry. Now the the race it's I mean, either these guys can still win it, but the last two weeks have been terrible for John McCain.
2: I have uh and, and this is only me saying this. This is me, Rick Emerson speaking on behalf of myself only. Uh, after the vice presidential debate, uh, you know we came on the next day and I said that while I thought Sarah Palin. In the sense of who needed to do what needed to be done, you know, who, who worked for the ticket the best? In other words, who most effectively achieved the goal that the ticket needed? By that criteria, I do still call Sarah Palin the winner. That, that being said, in my opinion, there's no way McCain can make this happen. There's just too much ground to make up, uh, too many electoral votes to make up, not enough time in which to make up those votes. And as you said, there is, you know, there is this sort of self-fulfilling vibe that sets in that the guy is just hopelessly and irretrievably behind. And that's not a, that's not a judgment on his politics. It's just I I just don't see how he makes that happen. And you've got to believe that to run for president, you must in some small way. I mean, if you can stand up in front of the American public and say. I need to be the most powerful man on Earth. I, John McCain, Barack Obama, Rick Emerson, uh, need to run this planet. I'm the best man to run a planet of five billion people. you got to at least in some place in your head believe it, it's true. And therefore, when you start to lose, it must be very angering because you must be sitting there going, I cannot believe they don't see that I am the one who should have this job. Why don't they see it? Yeah. And that manifests itself in McCain's brusqueness. Would you agree?
9: Right. Because um, in 2000, he, he was the Barack Obama guy. He was the guy that everyone said, oh, you know, our country would be so such a better place. Right. We, we, you, know, you are a breath of fresh air. I mean, he was the one who had those kinds of fans, not just your core party fans who kind of are do or die with uh, party philosophy, but, but the people in the middle. And that's who John McCain really sort of cast himself to for a long time that's who he's always liked the independents, but now the independents are breaking away from him at least at this moment and and that's a real tough position for him and so he's 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 going he needs those conservatives he needs sarah palin but it's interesting you know you mentioned you give sarah palin you know job done for the last debate Mm -hmm. but we're just getting polling results back now that since the last debate um Fewer people believe she's qualified to serve really? as president. And, and it's, I'm not quite sure why why that is, but for some reason, um, confidence in her abilities as president have gone down uh, since before her first debate. And meanwhile, when you ask people who who relates to you, who understands your problems, Barack Obama is way ahead of John McCain right now. So it's, it's, they've, they've got a real issue there, and that, that's where Sarah Palin is supposed to win them the votes. People, hey, I'm like you. I get you. I, right. I'm going to fight for you. But it, it sounds like people, even if they think she is like them, they're not sure she can get the job done. Well,
2: I think they're two different things. I mean, yeah. because I do think, and this is a discussion that, you know, just raged the whole day after the debate. I do think that she speaks to just that. I mean, I mean, look, if I, if I just put forward a slice of personal opinion. She speaks to that guy in the middle who doesn't seem too bright and just desperately wants to be told what to do. And so she gets up there and she says, you know, and she is a forceful speaker. She's a very dynamic speaker in some ways. She's no Bill Clinton. Uh, you, know, she's, you know, she's no Ronald Reagan. But she does have a certain energy to her. And to the guy who's in there going, I don't know, I just want someone to tell me what's right. And Sarah Palin kind of talks right to that guy. That being said, as you pointed out, being like me, uh, and I don't believe that she is, but let's assume for the sake of this discussion that Sarah Palin and I are sisters under the skin, it doesn't really mean, look, I don't want a guy like me uh, running the government. The average American shouldn't be let near a set of car keys, much less you know, the, the, the largest, most powerful country uh, on earth in terms of dollars, in terms of military, in terms of influence. The average American isn't qualified uh, to run a taco stand, much less the federal government. And I think people see that. Maybe I'm
9: hurting her. Maybe people say, oh, wow, she really is like me, and I I shouldn't be in charge of anything. I I think that's it.
2: I think Sarah Palin's, here's her problem in my opinion. I think Sarah Palin's gambit has worked too well, really. Mm -hmm. I think Sarah Palin has done a great job, and I mean this with absolute sincerity. She has done a great job of convincing people she is like a certain kind of common American. Mm -hmm. But I think people have also went, you know, wait a minute. A common American, that's just like my cousin Bob. God, that guy's a moron. Oh, my God, he blows all of his money on whiskey and scratch-offs. Oh, God, honey, we're not voting for Sarah Palin anymore. She's just like Bob. And so that's the thing. And also, I believe the television, people say that the television lies. I don't think that's true. I think that when you see someone on their feet debating whatever responding to questions I think the television shows you the real person and I think people see that McCain has a grasp of the facts and knowledge although he's a little cranky and maybe sort of beaten down at this point but I think the camera also shows that Sarah Palin has all of the energy McCain lacks but she lacks all of the facts that McCain has
9: I think it's been real tricky, I think, for the McCain camp, and I think they they have they they made a wise decision in kind of taking the wraps off of her and let, letting her seemingly be more herself and give give her a little more space before that uh, vice presidential debate. You know, my theory, honestly, I kind of think um, right after that debate we did polling, and you know, overwhelmingly voters liked her more. They thought Joe Biden won the debate, but they liked her more, and so that's what the McCain camp wanted. But, but that might not add up to the votes, like, right. exactly like you're saying. And, and then on the other hand, 80% after, right after the debate said, oh, she exceeded my expectations. People felt better about her right after the debate. But then fast forward now to, to just five days later and, and it's changed. And I think part of that may be the way that she's been covered. The things that stood out about her debate performance or that we saw again and again were, were the wink. I mean, how many times have you seen the Sarah Palin wink? Right. And honestly, I wonder, If there's a way to figure out the Saturday Night Live factor, because those two, the Saturday Night Live skits about her are just, you know, those are punches to the gut. And I, I think people kind of say, oh, you know what, yeah, okay, yeah, she... She is sort of, uh, yeah.
2: Oh no, you know, let's, uh, you know. And I think
9: that's, I think that's affecting her numbers. I think you can't underestimate that.
2: As someone once said, even the devil cannot bear scorn. Uh, yeah, and, and this,
9: is, I mean, this is real, and this is some of the toughest scorn that I think we've seen on the Saturday Night Live of anybody, including, you know, Bubba himself. Well, you know, Abby I Hoffman. I think she's
10: hurting from it.
2: I think I made this point to you that the, you know, that was Abby Hoffman said at one point that if somebody had just. If somebody had run up on stage in 1935 and just pulled Hitler's pants down in front of everybody, literally, like run up and, you know, Fuhrer, wah, and pull his pants down, he's like, you know, he's like he never would have attained power. World War II never would have happened, because how can he support a guy who got his pants taken down in front of everybody? And that really is what's happening to Sarah Palin right now, to some degree, is that I mean, comedy can be the most devastating political weapon. And I mean, it, what what pundits and commentators sometimes can't do, and what all of Keith Oberman screaming himself hoarse cannot do, a couple well-timed uh, minutes worth of comedy. I mean, that can really just destroy you. It, it it really can. And and I know we gotta we gotta run here. Is it all is right. it is it true that at this point, if if the states leaning for Obama's way, if they hold. All he has to do is get Florida to win.
9: Yes, yes, that's right. And Florida is going his way right now, too. Now, anything can happen, but um, Mc- McCain really has, he's, he's, he's got some serious bleeding in some really uh, very significant states that he's got to deal with.
2: Oh, I forgot that tonight's a debate, too. I'm sorry. Yeah, I completely forgot and, about that. You
9: know, and that's the issue. Is, yeah, are they, and this is a kind of a Palin thing, too. She, over this weekend, she started bringing up the whole Obama's, pals with domestic terrorists, and she is bringing up Jeremiah Wright again. Right. He's clearly going on the attack. So, interesting to see tonight um, what McCain does. McCain loves these town halls because he can be kind of folksy and be you know, his nicer, nicer self, you know, and sometimes a little surly with the jokes, but he loves it. Now, I bet both of these guys kind of play nice, but it's all going to be about the under the breath again tonight, and we'll see what what that's like.
11: I'm
2: tired of folksiness. I want the next candidate to just come out, really. I want the next candidate, you know, whoever runs in 2012 or whatever, to just come out and go, look, I'm not folksy. I'm not like you. I'm not one of the common people. I don't drop my G's. I didn't go to a little, you know, a little one-room schoolhouse. Uh, I don't sit around and listen to Charlie Daniels records. But if you vote for me, nobody's going to attack us, and you're going to have more money. Your choice. Vote, vote now. You have five seconds to decide.
9: You know Mitt Romney almost had a chance of being that guy, but he but he tried too hard to, to be likable, I think.
2: Yeah, if only he didn't look like Powdered Toast Man for the Ren and Stimpy cartoon. Oh, you, oh, no. All right. Uh, Lisa, are you on tomorrow? I'm on tomorrow. Will it? If I ask CNN, will they give me the same answer?
9: No, no, I should be, because my flight doesn't leave here for, like, till late, late right. in the evening, so I should be, yeah, I should be good.
2: All right, we will uh, look forward to speaking with you then.
1: Okay. All right, thank you, Lisa. All right, bye. All right, bye. there you go, fantastic.
2: It's always weird when we haven't talked to her in like a week, so you feel like you got to make up all the ground in one call. Mm. And now for my 15th point, Lisa, which I will ask in four parts. All right. How was everybody today?
7: Fine. Sarah? Okay.
2: All right. It's a fantastic show already. The next three hours, more of the same genius. It's 503-733-2970. Coming up later on, Henry Rollins. Uh, Jim Roop, and uh, we'll actually play 60 Seconds of Speaking uh, to give you your uh, chance at Rollins tickets. Worst song you've ever heard? Nina Parker from PMZ.com your phone call. Stay there. It's the Rick Emerson radio program. It's the Rick Emerson radio program. I just received a, an email advertisement from the Shady Grove Fertility Clinic. Apparently, more fertility options are affordable now. I guess it's not just IVF, whatever that might be. Oh, that's in, in vitro. All right, well, there you go. You know, more than 15,000 babies have been born to couples receiving treatment through Shady Grove Fertility, Sarah.
3: Well, thanks for the tip,
2: Rick. It's the fertility clinic of choice, apparently. Okay. They offer 100% money back guarantee on donor eggs. What does that even mean? Say so you like return the unused return unused portion.
1: Well, for, well if, one, if one is cracked, they'll
2: give you your money back. This egg has gone bad.
3: Oh, stop! The yolk about is broken. This bad. egg has
2: gone. That's disgusting.
3: It's so gross when I think about it. I'm, I know I know you should be grown up and stuff. Carrying like around your body eggs. makes eggs.
2: You're like that thing. You're like that Queen Alien in the Aliens movie. <gasps>
3: I was really actually just thinking about this Next thing you know, Sarah, Sigourney Weaver is going to be shooting
2: grenades into your thorax. What? You were thinking about what what the other day?
3: No, about how... how, Your body. I know. I know. Why am I grossed up by it?
2: I don't know. But you were thinking about...
3: About how, how, you know, you make eggs. How, like, you're a human being, but you make eggs in your body. It's kind of a
2: weird thing. It is
3: kind of weird. I was was sitting there thinking about it.
2: Yeah, it's all very strange. Uh, Apparently, they have four convenient full-service offices in Northern Virginia. I'm sorry. (laughs) Northern Virginia... Leesburg and Woodbridge.
0: Let's just, yeah. It's time for the Rick Emerson Show's new news hour, only on AM 970, The Talker. Sorry. And now, from the Ministry of Truth, this is Kim Riley.
1: Well, the economy may be going down the drain, but gas is getting cheaper. So everyone will be able to fill up and look for a new job. Gas prices are likely to fall to $3 by Thanksgiving. Now, they plunged 15 cents this week, and it's now... 3.48 3.48 on the average in Oregon for a gallon of gas, so that is good news. The price for barrel of oil fell to 88 dollars yesterday. By the way, so I,
2: I just like two minutes ago, right before we came back in the air, I got that email, the unsolicited spam or whatever. I guess that's redundant, but the uh, the email advertisement from the Shady Grove Fertility Clinic.
1: Hope to see you soon. Literally,
2: literally, five seconds after we uh, we quit talking about that. Uh, my email updated again, and I just got one from the Traditional Values Coalition, giving voice to the values voter. And there is a picture of the most terrifying guy. He looks like Fred Phelps, but he's not Fred Phelps. Mm. Standing next to the obligatory leggy blonde Republican chick. Um, it says, Dear Rick, one of the many reasons cited for the nation's current financial chaos is an absence of morality. Uh, and then this is I'm reading now from this email from the Traditional Values Coalition. Over the past several months, we've taken a hard look at the legislative proposals of Senator Barack Obama, including... Now, listen to this now. I'm reading you to you directly from the email. It says they have taken a hard look at the legislative proposals of Senator Barack Obama. Then they enumerate some of those things. I'm now reading from the email when it says, including an expose on the Hindu monkey god Obama carries in his pocket. Hindu monkey god. Do it. I'm reading it right off the screen. This email from the Traditional Values Coalition featuring scary white guy and blonde Republican Bimbet. We've taken a hard look at the legislative proposals of Senator Barack Obama, including an expose on the Hindu monkey god Obama carries in his pocket. <laughs> so there you go. so they the must
3: ne- have her emails confused because all I get is Viagra and, like, Want a bigger erection and then like and you get all the eggs and and a better home whatever
2: okay well i have nothing to add to that hindu monkey got all right so the next time by the way you're trapped in, a, in an underwater cave and gollum asks you what is it got in its pocket or whatever uh, the answer is the answer is hindu monkey got Texas. <sighs> here's tim riley
1: yeah, so that is getting pretty bad. Uh, let's see. So now the big uh, watchword is treason against Barack Obama. That's the latest thing to come out of. Uh, Sarah Palin. At a rally, television stations caught audio of a crowd member calling Obama a terrorist. But didn't uh, Palin call him a terrorist, too? Yes. Not just a crowd member. And then uh, somebody shouted a racial epithet, an African American sound man for a network who said to the white man, Sit down, boy. Wait, hold on. Wait, let me back up. Where was this? This is at a McCain campaign rally. Where, though? Uh, Let's see. It looks like University of Nashville. I'm not sure if that... Oh, no. Jacksonville, Florida. No. Damn it. Damn it. Damn it. Damn it. Damn it. Oh. I know. I know.
2: I just wanted to finish the race. Sometimes... (laughs) Sarah, sometimes you can't be first, but you can be first in your heart. I don't know what that means. What
7: does that even mean? Nothing.
2: (laughs) Eat your burrito. (laughs) Um, So, wait. So, they're in Florida, and so McCain is speaking...
1: No, no, not McCain. Palin is, Palin is speaking. Mark McCain calling Obama terrorist.
2: And so she calls Obama a terrorist. And then
1: someone in the crowd... Shouts a r- racial epithet. ...shouted... ...at an African-American sound man from the network and told him, sit down, boy. You know? And then somebody else in the audience yells, kill him. This almost feels like George Wallace's campaign. I was just going to say, what year is this? Yeah. Uh, and what candidate is this? Well, this is Florida. And this is Palin. It's
2: where... <laughs> Damn it, all the hell. <laughs> Sorry. So You do have to ask yourself, though. I mean, I am not suggesting that Sarah Palin endorses or espouses any of that behavior. But we're getting comments, awful close. But that's You've the thing. you got to
1: watch your tone. But, I mean, that's the thing, right? And, like, and then what? you bring up the hamburger helper set. Well, it, like, what? <laughs> they call it hamburger helper, Clark, but I think it does just fine by
2: itself. Uh, you have to ask yourself. And I'm not. I'm not saying that I have the answer. I have inklings. If you are talking about Sarah Palin being at a campaign rally in the South, and, you, you know, and sometimes you don't think of Florida as the South, right? You think of it as its own sort of place. So but it, it's the South. But it is the South. Um,
1: and there are people making minimum wage at these tourist destinations, and they're very unhappy people.
2: And so you do have to sort of ask yourself, what does it mean that when Sarah Palin goes out to speak she gets in the audience, among other people, a, a guy who's going to shout a racial epithet at a black guy, and then somebody else in the audience shouting, presumably at the same black man, kill him.
1: Mm-hmm. I mean... so Let's see what we can hear in the soundbite. Uh, all right. Okay, let's see. Uh, and this is from, this is loading. sound bite from that rally? Yeah, it's loading right now. All right. Hey, okay, here we go. Is my pot up? Mm-hmm. My pot is up and I can't hear anything. Um, yeah. yeah, I got nothing.
2: Is okay. It, is it playing? Dumb question. Uh, let me look here. Is yeah. that something? Yeah, we've had, it? Is. We've had network issues today.
1: Okay. I, apparently, we have a ne- network issue. All there. right. So anyway, it did happen.
2: But I mean, you know, it does sort of. It does sort of make you wonder. You know, what is the thought process in that guy's head? Not, you know, not to make that comment because there's just no explaining that. I mean, some people are just. You know, there's no curing. There's no curing stupid. So some people are just dumb bigots, and that's just the way it is, I suppose. But you got to ask yourself. Okay, you wake up in the morning, and go. Hey, uh, I'm a dumb racist fool. Uh, where shall I go today? Well, I could go train pit bulls. I could molest children. I could go see Sarah Palin. I'm going to pick Sarah Palin. Uh, you know, I mean, you know, some some, some uh, backwater hick goes to see Sarah Palin. And these are the thoughts floating around his head. And so you sort of wonder exactly what is it about Sarah Palin that brings that guy to the party? And I'm not saying, again, that she, you know, sort of espouses those beliefs, but it does, man. I mean, it... And plus, doesn't it just make you? I mean, Chris Paddock and I were having a conversation a while back about something. I forget what it even was. We were talking about something, some, some, some stripe of, of intolerance somewhere that had happened And mean, you know,
1: but we, we apparently we were, there have been four uh, racial incidents at Jesuit High School of all places in the past few days.
2: And yeah, and so we were having this discussion, and I think at one point at one point of the conversation, he and I both looked at each other. We were just like, you know, this country is effed. This country is still so deeply effed up in some ways oh, yeah. and in some places. And it's not like I'm some big. A traveler of the United States. You know, it's not like I'm Charles Kuralt or whatever, but I mean, you don't, but the, for good or bad, you don't, you no longer have to go to those places to sort of realize some of the things that happened. And then look, it's not like the Northwest is immune from those things as well. We certainly have in just the recent past here in the Northwest, our own checkered history with mm-hmm. cultural relations. But I mean, it, it does make you wonder, not to be too philosophical about it, if that is a thing that's ever, that kind of idiot behavior, if it's ever going to get bred out of us. You know what I mean? In other words, are dumb idiot bigots uh, of whatever stripe? Are they ever going to f- quit finding dumb idiot bigots to have sex with them so they can raise more dumb idiot bigot children? You would think just simple Darwinism would get rid of that at some point, and it doesn't seem like it is. So it's a little frustrating. Jesus, but you're right. Th- and 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 just to go back to your George Wallace point, and let me
1: say. Uh, that i'm just where he where he spoke in codes yes. and people know exactly what he was saying so we're getting a little bit closer to that right and hopefully somebody doesn't So, but you know the anger is going to mount within the next couple of weeks and i have a feeling that somebody's going to step over that and although they don't know that they're not doing anything wrong it's going to backfire badly i agree with you in the very end because that's where this is heading i i agree with
2: you and i do agree with you also And
1: is it being done purposely? I have a feeling it is. Well, you know
2: what? People... Look, people know, especially people at a certain... I will just speak in generalities Economic
1: sphere or social.
2: I would say that, and I would say at a certain level of the political game, people... Look, nothing in politics happens by accident. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? There are very few true accidents in politics. When somebody gets up on the stump, even if they look like they're speaking off the cuff spontaneously... Very few things at politics. at this Look, it's one thing if you're going to the, the guy who's going to be running for, you know, dog catcher or whatever. But you get to presidential politics, vice presidential politics, every word, whether it's on the stump, whether on the standing of the caboose of a train, whether they're at a debate. Everything that comes out of their mouth has been planned, dissected, gone over with a fine tooth comb, focus grouped, challenged, discussed. And then they have settled on those specific words. And I do agree with you that there is a lot of just as there was with Wallace there's a lot of code being used mm-hmm. and a lot of people who uh, people who realize there are certain ideas that will resonate with Plus a certain words. yeah uh, with a certain very narrow-minded intolerant type of american voter and they realize that now you do have to lay that stuff between the lines and that's what you're hearing, and it does, you know, and you talk that way, and that's the kind of people that show up at your rallies. I mean, that's that's it, man. There's no. And I do agree with you that it's leading. There's going to be some sort of – there's going to be a flare-up. There is going to be some incident. Because this is the only thing left to do. Right. They've tried everything else. Right. Um, and I think that it's going to backfire in one of two ways. This is just my opinion, that either a candidate, maybe Sarah Palin, maybe whoever – a candidate is going to go one step too far because the thing is, you just sometimes I think they just they in their own heads are so muddled. They don't know where the line is and how close they are to it until they go right over it. And I think at some point. Somebody like Sarah Palin, if not Sarah Palin herself, um, will be speaking and she will be ramping it up and amping it up because she clearly sees that as her role right now.
1: She'll do it. Jenny Jones. That's exactly
2: uh, you know, she obviously has either been told or has just assumed that her job in the campaign is to throw all the haymakers that McCain either can't or won't. Her job is to go out and say all of the ugly, divisive. And I'm not saying that ugly, divisive politics are exclusive to the Republican Party. I'm really not. But that's what we're talking about right now. And so that's why I'm talking about. And she obviously knows because, uh, you know, in fact, even all those news stories recently, they talk about her as a pit bull. You know, that's a, that's a thing that I never heard about her. You know, except for that one throwaway line at the convention, that joke. But you know what? In the last three or four days, I've seen probably nine or ten headlines using the phrase pit bull because she obviously knows now that this is the time for her to go out and start throwing these gut punches. And, you know, she's going to amp it up and she's going to say more and more outlandish things and more and more outrageous things and more and more provocative and inflammatory things. And either she is going to say one line that goes one step beyond the pale And it's going to implode, and it is going to take her and that whole campaign down with her. Or she's going to say something, and somebody in that crowd is going to say or do something as a result of it, and it's going to come back on them. There's going to be blowback on them in a huge way. I mean, I really feel like that's coming. Uh, we are up... And it
1: won't be too hard with YouTube, even though the major media doesn't cover it. Right. All, all it has to do is be linked to YouTube, and that's it.
2: And we are just such a, uh, you know, and, and we're trying to sort of to keep it light this week, because last week was so stressful. But, I mean, obviously, look, we, we had all of these... You know, problems right here in River City. I mean, we got, you know, the stock market and we've got, you know, people looking at, you know, other, you know, more immediate financial concerns on the home front. You've got what has already been an incredibly polarizing and divisive election. You've got, uh, you know, the prices of everything else going up through the roof. You've got a general feeling of world instability. You've got all of this stuff and it all gets amplified and accelerated by the, by the Internet. And so, I mean, I really do feel like we are at one of those moments where there is just, to use the tired cliche, there is just this powder keg, and somebody is going to say the wrong thing, and either they or somebody in that audience, you know, it's just going to reach some sort of incendiary point, and something is going to happen. I really do believe that. There's an incident... Waiting out no, there to we happen. We are
1: teetering on that now. Yeah,
2: I do feel that we're at that point.
1: And she is the one that's going to do it. I, yeah. I just have to believe it.
2: Yeah. Because she's being set up to do this. Yeah, I mean, and she clearly has no problem with it. I mean, that's the thing, right? She is, for better or worse, whatever one thinks of Sarah Palin. Well, it's
1: better than being in Alaska.
2: <laughs> and it I mean, and she obviously, well, two things. One, she is pure in in a sense. She's not nearly as as skilled or as polished as as a, you know, again, Bill Clinton or any, you know, or Ronald Reagan or any of those guys, but she is a pure political animal. I mean, she is a purely political machine. She doesn't really seem to have, and I'm not trying to be a dime store psychology guy, but she doesn't really seem to have a lot of actual feelings or emotions or thoughts. In other words, everything, you never really feel like you're seeing the actual Sarah Palin, ever. Everything that Sarah Palin says, you feel like it's this sort of plasticine cutout of her that's about three feet in front and the real Sarah Palin is, you know, if there is one, is sort of deep inside somewhere. And meanwhile, you've got this talking caricature that says all of these weird, glib, funny, angry, sort of inflammatory things. And so once you're on that train, I just don't think, I just don't think, there's, any, I don't think there's any breaks on that track. Uh, I think once you start down that road, and especially the other thing, the McCain campaign has started to make up a little bit of ground with this. Not a lot, and I still think McCain's going to lose. But the louder Sarah Palin screams and the uglier she becomes and the more divisive things she says, the more the support for the McCain campaign solidifies and the more ground they do start to slowly make up. So there's no motivation for her to tone it down. There really isn't. And all, you know, once you start to see, you know, some results, you know, the natural inclination for anybody, especially a politician, is just to turn it as loud as it'll go and There are so many different fuses in so many different parts of the American psyche right now that are just, they are like one spark away from going. And so, and I hope it doesn't happen, but like you, I share this sense that we have a long month to go and a month of a bad economy and a month of an election that is still statistically a tie and at least one candidate who seems flat out crazy, another one who seems a little senile, and let's be honest, four candidates who will probably do anything, including stepping over their, uh, you know, uh, their own dogs, cats, and mothers at this point to win. So, you know, I, uh, I do believe that we are, it, to wrap this up in roller coaster terms, uh, it is cranking us toward the top, and we are near the apex. So, here's Tim Riley.
1: Well, here's something on another front that's equally unnerving. After the bailout, AIJ executives head to a California resort... $440,000 for the, a retreat, which includes pedicures and manicures. Less than a week after the feds committed $85 billion to bailing out AIG, executives of the giant AIG insurance company headed for a week-long retreat at a luxury resort and spa, spa the St. Regis Resort in Monarch Beach, California. Rooms at this resort may cost $1,000 a night. AIG documents obtained by... Uh, Henry Waxman's investigators showed the company paid more than $440,000 for the retreat, including nearly $200,000 for rooms, $150,000 for meals, $23,000 in spa charges. They're getting their pedicures and manicures. The American people are paying for that. It's unbridled greed, said another, and sensitivity to how people are spending our dollars. Appearing before the committee, Martin Sullivan, the EIG CEO, until June said the company was overwhelmed by a financial global tsunami and that no simple or single cause was to blame.
2: You know, and that's exactly the sort of thing that the news media, and we're proud to be part of that, to glom onto. Uh, you know, fiscal irresponsibility and stock shenanigans and swindling and smoke-filled rooms and back backdoor dealings. That's one thing. Hey, manicures, that's a thing we can grab onto and scream about all day. Jesus. I. It's just like some sort of... You know what it is? There are all kinds of careers, I think, in this world where the door prize is you know, it's like, it's like you used to go to a party when you were a kid, like a birthday party, and so you walk in, there's a door prize, and like, what is this? Well, it's a plastic whistle that it's a plastic whistle that you can use once and then it breaks. Whereas the door prize, apparently for knowing the right lobbyist or politician at this point, is like two hundred grand and like a back massage or something. Jesus. All right.
1: The insane clown posse is not welcome at Lebanon High School. Principal Mark Finch says shirts, hats, jewelry, and other items associated with the hardcore hip-hop band are gang-related and will be banned begin October 15th. But Jessica McNeil, a 17-year-old junior, submitted a student petition asking the board to reverse that decision. Board members say they knew nothing about the band and would have to study the issue. This insane clown posse is known for its horror circus image and violent lyrics. I do like the idea of a school board having to set aside time to, quote, study the insane clown posse. Mm-hmm. Uh, per, uh, some fans, often known as jagalos or jagalettes, have been involved in high-profile murders and assaults.
2: I know that we have, uh, we have uh, there's at least a few listeners of ours, uh, good friends of the show, who are massive fans of the insane clown posse. Mm-hmm. Sarah, let me ask you this right now. Oh, no, no, no. God. No, just, I'm gonna, let me give you the option here. This is like a deal or no deal kind of a thing. Do you or do you not? I don't want
3: to know. Wait, what? Look over there. Is it somebody that I care about and I don't want to know if they're a secretly a juggalo? I was going
2: to say, do you or do you not want to know the name of a, I would say, a good friend of the show who is a massive fan of the Insane Clown Let me insane guess. Insane I have one time. Um, okay, but here's the thing. if you, get, you can guess, but if you guess wrong, I'm going to tell you the uh, right answer. So that's the thing. You, if you guess wrong, I will tell you who it is, and then that person will be forever sullied in your mind.
3: I'm thinking about it, and I, I love this person dearly. Do you want to guess on the air? Yes. Who is it? No, man, Chris.
2: No. Oh. um, Well, he might be, but I'm saying that's not who I'm thinking of.
3: Um, good friend of the show, good friend of the show. Um, Big Jim?
2: No. No. You should tell him that though. You're a big insane clown posse fan, right? (laughs) Just see what he says. You know what that guy is? Let me ask you this. If I can sidetrack her. Oh, I totally all
3: that kind of stuff.
2: Okay, but you know what he's a fan of? And it's like, you know, you don't want to think less.
3: What? What is he? Hum- he's a
2: big fan of The Grateful Dead. I saw Aww. him wearing a tie-dye Grateful <laughs> Dead shirt the other day. <laughs> what is that? He. Bl- what? Is, he's he. He he whistles. He hums. <laughs> he. Uh,
3: yes, he hums. <laughs> he likes to. He likes to hum a lot.
2: He uh he likes to drink through a straw. Yes. That's what that is. Yes, and then okay.
3: after he finishes drinking through the straw, he likes to hold his breath and then he does put that. It back out.
2: He he does that uh
3: Somebody who yeah. <laughs> no, sorry, Jim. Um is it somebody who works for CBS?
2: Um no.
3: Somebody that we've had on that we have on the show?
2: Uh we've had this person on the show. Time the
3: soon. guy? Yes. All right.
2: Big fan of the insane clown posse. Boba Fett? Yes. No. Yeah, Chris Boba Fett. Really? Um, yeah, he is. Uh, you go to his uh, space page, and I'm I going actually, there right now. and I actually read it because it was fascinating. He had this, and I'm really not making fun. I mean, whatever, doesn't matter to me. I, I don't see. I don't have the thing against the insane clown posse. To everybody else does. Like, I don't. I mean, look, it's stupid, but so is everything else. I mean, so is mo- so is most really entertaining music, you know, and it's, as my dad would say, it's not my style, this uh, new music, so I, I, not like I'm an insane clown posse fan, I'd go home and listen to them or whatever, but I I don't have the problem with it, a lot of people do, I do think a lot of that is age, is ageism, Uh, people sort of look down at, you know, that and they think it's silly or it's stupid or whatever, you know, neglecting the fact that a whole swath of Americans came of age going to watch a guy paint his face black and white and spit blood out pretending he was a demon, so... Really, as like a card-carrying member of the Kiss Army, it would be the height of hypocrisy for me to say that I found the insane clown posse to be dumb.
3: Oh, and I know Chris, and he's a cool guy. So I mean, you know, one they bunch. They can't be that bad.
2: One bunch of goops and face paint is the same as another, pretty much. I mean, look at the other guy. You know, the other guy was a, a huge—I um, don't say influence on me, but you know, one of my one of my big musical heroes was Alice Cooper, and Alice Cooper, who paints up his face and used to pretend to cut his head off in concert, chopped up dead baby dolls. I mean, it's like you know, so. It's not really my deal, but I do have to say that I admire the C- the Insane Clown Posse for this in that they are a true grassroots phenomenon. They really are. And I admire the fact that they have put together with... I mean, look, they don't get any radio airplay. They don't get any video airplay. They had that one major label record on Hollywood, which is a Disney label, and they got dropped immediately. They got a little bit of controversy out of it, but they got dropped almost immediately uh, because of uh, the content. So... You know, they have no mainstream outlet for any of their marketing. But i got to tell you, they have their own music they put out. They have ancillary bands. They have that guy, Twisted, who's like a, some sort of like a spin-off. He's like a, like an offshoot of them. Um, that In fact, that guy, I think it's one guy, Twisted, was at the uh, the Hawthorne Theater a couple months by. back. And um, and so I'm driving down um, 39th, and I'm driving by the Hawthorne Theater. And the show is at whenever. Whenever shows start at the Hawthorne, like 8, eight nine o'clock. It was about four in the afternoon. There was a line of kids all the way down the block, wrapping around the building, every one of them, with the face paint and then, like, the, um, the sort of Coolio, like, the, the sort of the dreadlocks that are sort of like pipe cleaners that are all stuck up.
3: Those people just freaked me out, and I don't mean to be judgmental, but I don't want to be anywhere near them. They but that's, but the don't you out. think that's
2: the point, though? That's Maybe, the deal. It just
3: seems so dirty and hot, topicky, and like you know, all like the like the dirty pants and like the weird spikes and like bad face makeup and like the fading green hair.
2: And I think, but I think that is the whole point. I think I, that,
3: I'm sure it is their point point in success. Because I don't want to be a you know, like it, they just kind of really freak me out. Especially I, I live um you know a few blocks away from the Hoffman right. Theater, and like I yeah I see all of the all the clown people wrapped around the building. <laughs> the clown
2: people wrapped around Here's the building the crap out of me. See, and I think when you are you know, no offense to Chris who's in his twenties, but I think, you know, look, if you're some pissed off teenager, you know, you're some, you're some kid who's 16, 17, 18, you're all, you know, you're all hopped up on like, uh, you know, just you know, fury and hormones and hate and, you know, whatever. There is, there's two things you really want. Cause people have that thing where they say that teenagers really want to be individuals. Or teenagers want to be different. And that's not true. Teenagers don't want to be different. That's I remember enough about being an adolescent, largely because I've managed to re- I've managed to retain this state of, of retarded growth. Like, I've managed to tread water in a sea of uh, in a sea of adolescent sexu- you know sexuality and uh, and uh, you know mental uh, what is the other part of that spinal tap? Treading water in a sea of retarded sexuality and what is the other thing that Rob Reiner says? The the growth rate of this band cannot even be charted, whatever it is. But, you know, because I've managed to remain an adolescent in many ways. I am an adult adolescent, as the marketers say. So I do remember, I think, a little bit about that. And when you are a teenager, I don't think you want to be different. You want to be different from people you don't like. But you want to be like the people who think the way you do. That's the thing. And that is why any band that has a strong visual iconography – That's why those bands are so huge. I mean, look, even now, 30, what, four years after the fact, you go to a KISS concert, a third of the crowd, from kids to grown men, they are dressed sometimes in face paint, sometimes in the full costume. And it's because it's a sense of community. It is a sense of belonging to something that is larger than yourself. And people can laugh at that and smirk at that. And don't get me wrong. I have never heard a single song by the Insane Clown Posse that, that, that appealed to me in any way musically. But I think when you are looking for that, you're looking for something that is a little bit larger than yourself that you can – somewhere where you can belong and where your, your freakdom maybe is not such an issue. You know, you really grab onto that, and they give you an easy way to do it because for the cost of a record and, like, three bucks worth of bad makeup, you know, you can look like you're part of that. And it has the added advantage – no offense to Sarah Dillon – of scaring all the squares, mm. right? Because the other people go, oh, my God, those kids, they're, uh, they're a little terrifying – And uh, I think this music might be bad for society. And you tell that to one of those, like, Jungalo kids, and they're like... Mission accomplished. Yeah, I mean, and
3: I don't, I don't, feel like I'm, I'm scared by anything that they represent. I just think it's kind of ridiculous.
2: Well, maybe that's what I mean. But you know, there are people who are like this That's school. true.
3: I have like lots of friends who are like, you know, who are all into the punk rock thing, and they right. wear, they wear leather and studs and spike their hair up every single day, and that's who they are. And I'm sure somebody else is off-put by that. But in a way, I, I can just identify with that. I'm like, okay, well, yeah. that's, you know, that's my friends. That's what they look like. Right.
2: And everybody's kind of got their uniform. And I'm not saying that in a bad way. Look, I got, you know what, you know what I wear when I'm not here? Uh, I wear my Chuck Taylor. I am 35 years old. I wear Chuck Taylors, uh, jeans that are more often than not frayed, uh, and one in a rotating series of 500 black T-shirts. And that's all I wear. I am 35 years of age, and I'm still wearing bracelets on my wrist like I was Robert Plant. Uh, And that's because there's a uniform. And I wear the uniform of kind of growing up as a rock fan. And so, in a way, I can sort of respect the fact that they have made this huge industry and this community out of, like, nothing, and with no mainstream support. And I can kind of respect the the eternal desire of angry weird freaky dirtbag kids uh, to make other people either unnerved or off-put or even just to make you go they're gross i think they would probably go that's right we're disgusting what are you going to what are you going to do about it the man so
3: but then you might be giving them too much credit because maybe they are just filthy
2: oh no most of them are most of them are just scum uh, but I mean, you know, hey, there's a place for scum. Scum has its place. Back to Big Jim and his grateful dead shirt.
3: Yeah, I love it when people can can like totally own what they love. Like um, this this guy that I work with at the bar, he um he has like red hair and he is he's like an industrial goth raver who's just getting together his um he's starting a Dungeons and Dragons team. That's like so for cool. Winter, so he doesn't spend all. He's like, I don't want to spend all winter in the bar. And he, right. He's 30 because he owns it. He, like, wears, you know, huge steel-toed boots up to his knees, and he just looks totally badass because he's, like, right. I'm making no apologies for who I am.
2: Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, there's something there's something to be said for that, where you, you know, uh, where you just, you know, you just don't care. You just, uh, you know, as you said, you just own it. You are it. So, you know, anyway. But uh, but just to, just to recap where we came in, like, 40 minutes ago. So I was going to Boba Fett's MySpace page, Chris, uh, his MySpace page one time, to read something or other. I went there for summary. I was looking for something. And he had a huge blog entry about the Insane Clown Posse. And actually, a lot of it was about how other people, you know, make fun of them and a lot of people don't get them. And at one point, I think Spin called them the worst band in the history of music. And some song of theirs was the worst song ever recorded. And there was a little bit. And again, it's not that I, you know, it's not that I even listened to anything of theirs. I find their music pretty tedious and repellent. But. You know, but there was something to be said for the fact that he said, look, you know what? They can say whatever they want, but if you're reading this, uh, you know, the odds are you probably feel the same way about their music that I do, and it doesn't matter what they think. What matters is, the, you know, what we think and what we do and what we enjoy. And, you know, and I can uh, you know, I can understand that. So, anyway, that being said, they all look like they need a good scrubbing. Here's Tim Riley.
1: Well, listen to this. The City Council of West Hollywood is considering whether or not to revoke or suspend the license of the House of Blues. In the past 12 months, police have made 44 arrests at the House of Blues for fights, drinking disorderly behavior, and grand theft. Who goes, who causes trouble at the House of Blues? And apparently there's, there, there have been some decent beatings there. <laughs> They're trying to <laughs> crack down on the Sunset Strip. Club managers haven't done enough to step up security. The House.
2: What could you possibly up, be upset about at the House of Blues? My potato skins aren't done well enough. <laughs> That's a stupid place to go throw down, friend. Well, go,
1: apparently it's been taken over by hoodlums.
2: But it's not hoodlums. Have you ever been to the House of Blues?
1: No, that's too touristy for me.
2: That's what I'm saying. Is
3: that the one that's in the Hard Rock Cafe?
2: Uh, no, I don't what think am I it's. Thinking? No, no I that's it the that's the 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 joint. No, wait. Or is the joint at the House of Blues? The joint I think is the performance place at the House yeah, of Blues.
3: It looks how Lemmy play there, like. It April. looks rather like a
1: tool shed outside.
3: I mean, it's
2: sorry, on the
1: left side of Sunset.
2: Uh, you know, you know who goes to the House of Blues? Here's who goes to the House of Blues. Uh, and Sarah, I'll target this one at you. Here's who goes to the House of Blues. Like, uh when you're in high school or maybe just starting college, your best girlfriend, her creepy dad who wears khakis and a golf shirt and tries to look down your shirt.
10: Yeah.
2: That's who goes to the House of blue, but he still thinks he's a badass because, uh you know, because he puts on Ray-Bans and, you know, he once saw B.B. King somewhere, probably at the Apparently, House of Apparently it's been taken
1: over by hoodlums. It,
2: it, it has not been taken over by hoodlums. It has, been, it has been taken over by frat guys who think that they are badasses because they are drinking for the first time. Uh, they ordered a shot from some girl with a low-cut tank top at the bar, and they're at a place that has the word blues in the title, and they think they're living the real down low. That's who goes to the house of blues. Seriously, if you want to start a fight, uh, where is this at? Which, uh, which location?
1: This is the, the West Hollywood one on the strip. You know this what? Is the 9,000 block. You want to
2: impress me? Go go start a fight at the Rainbow. That's how you, you you really want to earn my respect. Go up to the Rainbow Bar and Grill. Pick a fight with some guy. Go to Oakland. Pick a fight with somebody in Oakland.
1: That'd be fun.
2: Douchebag. Jesus. Let's do one more, and then we'll take a break.
1: A Grant's past man has pled guilty to assaulting his wife. He'll get a dozen years in prison. 68-year-old Francis Oakley cut his wife's throat back and hand handed abdomen. At the time uh-huh. of his arrest, he told police he only wanted to maim her, not kill her. Oxley has rejected her. Threatening oh, wait, that doesn't work. I'm sorry. Well, apparently he was released on his own recognizance and told to stay away from her. That's a liberal judge. Instead, he bought some knives, drove her to her home, and chased his wife down when she arrived. So that didn't work out very well. Arsley had been suffering from diminished uh, mental capacity and obsessive compulsive disorder at the time of the attack. Wait, is that what it's called? He had? Yes.
2: All right, and so where did this happen?
1: Like Grant's pass. Well, is she is. dead? No. Am I oh, allowed. No, no, she's dead. Oh. oh. So he only wanted to that. maim her, not kill her.
2: Okay, then I have nothing to say. All right. Let me just uh, finish out with this quote. It is Margie uh, Marty DeBurghy talking to Nigel Tufnell, and the full quote is thank you to Rob for sending this to me. Uh, Marty says, let's talk about your reviews a little bit. Regarding intravenous Milo, this tasteless cover is a good indication of the lack of musical invention within. The musical growth rate of this band cannot even be charted. They are treading water in a sea of retarded sexuality and bad poetry. That was the second part of that. And then Nigel says, well, that's, that's nitpicking, isn't it? All right. Um, if you were on hold, somebody about Palin, somebody about the insane clown posse, and I'm assuming these other two calls are about picking fights at the House of Blues, Hang on, we'll get to you. I promised that we were going to get the calls within ten minutes. I suck. I failed to make good on that promise. I'm. You
1: kept to it yesterday.
2: I'm going to go kick myself in the junk right now. We get back though, we will get your phone calls. Hang on hold. We'll get to you when we return. More from Tim Riley later on. Henry Rollins, don't go anywhere. Why, hello! It's the Rick Emerson radio program. It's five zero three seven three three two nine seventy. All right, we got off and do a whole thing there. The, the insane clown posse, against Sarah Palin, and the imminent demise of, uh, you know, the, the imminent, the imminent demise of, of uh, I don't know, a comfortable state of mental being for any of us here. It does seem like this whole country is just one. This whole country, as uh, as uh, Christian Slater said, and pump the volume, just one day away from going. That's it. Screw it. Uh, let me get these calls, and we'll continue with the news. Because I think we've gotten like one and a half stories this hour. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello.
4: Hey, Rick, Tim, Sarah, and Richie with a T. Hello. Um, just an observation. Um, first of all, where was uh, Tim hiding while you were talking about the insane clown posse? I was just having a visual of Tim, you know, kind of not wanting to be even near those words so that they don't affect his very nice. Hey,
2: he retreated world. back into his saline-filled egg, sir. <laughs>
4: Um, just an observation. I, uh, that was a great moment. laugh.
2: That was a great little <laughs> Okay, but seriously. All
4: right. yes? so, uh, the reason I was calling, as they say, is I've been uh, you know, shooting some emails uh, to and fro that have the name Palin in them. And uh, spellcheck does some fun things with that. Uh, I don't know if you've run into that, but uh, the suggestions, because it doesn't recognize Palin in the dictionary, mm-hmm. the first one that comes up is plain. And then there's also Pain. Pauling. So, anyhow. Uh, what I'm is the last one? Pauling.
2: P-A-L-L-I-N-G? Correct. Who even knew that was a word? What does it mean? You know, I don't know. I haven't looked it up. But, well, then uh, this call has been completely without a point, sir. I have uh, to say that at the end, you've let us all down and your parents.
4: Oh, all right. Well, one more thing, then. Yes.
2: Okay. See, that's good, though. You redeemed yourself that way. All right. Hey, by the way, did you know that... Uh, uh, let's see. What was I using? That was Yahoo Mail. Yahoo Mail doesn't recognize wordsmith as a word, he says, cocking an eyebrow. However, Yahoo Mail recognizes irregardless. So, you know. There you go. More evidence that we're headed toward it. Just one big downhill slide. Hi, you're on The Rick Emerson Show. Hello.
9: Hey, Rick. Um, I wanted to make sure you, knew okay, the joint is the um, concert place that's in the Hard Rock Hotel in Vegas. Ah, Okay. But the House of Blues, the one on Sunset, is where Phil Spector met Lana Clarkson, who he then was on trial and um, um, the hung jury that starts next month again for his second trial. Right, so
2: maybe so, maybe it's his creepy, evil, violent vibe that he left behind that causes yeah, all the violence there. Yeah. I think
9: House of Blues does have some issues. So um, right, yeah, just starting with Phil Spector. So yeah, that's why they're probably having some of those things. All right, thank you. Okay, cool. Uh, There you go.
2: I was making the point during the break that you know who goes to the House of Blues is Scotty. That's really – Scotty J. really is the – he is the prototypical customer for that place. Hi, one more, and then we'll do more news. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello.
5: You you mentioned the House of Blues. It brought to mind uh, two, three, four years ago, um, they might be giants came Mm -hmm. through town here and played, and they had set themselves a a goal of writing a quick song for every town they had been through. Right. And uh, the one here, uh, apparently they went to the House of Blues. And I just remember the chorus of the song they came up with. that they kept repeating was, so uh, put down your hash pipe, put some makeup on that bruise. We're going downtown to the House of Blues.
2: Fantastic. When you say when you say here, where are you calling from?
5: Uh, the Portland.
2: Is there a House of Blues here?
5: Well, wait, where? Whichever city it's in, I'm, I'm disoriented. You're
2: freaking me out, man. <laughs> this was in California.
5: Oh, right. Okay. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm a little behind the time, but yes, they. Also,
2: were- you don't know where you're living.
5: Uh, no, that's irrelevant. What's relevant is the House of Blues. All right.
2: Um, there you go. I'm not much of a They Might Be Giants fan, but I really do respect those guys because they do things like writing a new song for every city. Just like they used to have that, you know, way back, they used to have that phone number you could call, and every single day if you called their phone number, there'd be a different song they'd recorded just for that day. They'd written it and recorded it on their phone, and you could call the number, and it would play a different song for you every single day.
12: I thought it was poetry. Yeah,
2: those guys are pretty great in their own way. All right, thank you. All
1: right, there you
2: go, Say goodbye anymore? All right, here's Tim Riley.
1: Police surrounded a man holed up and set a home in North Portland today after responding to a report of a domestic dispute. They were called out at 730 to Cecilia and Portsmouth Avenue. The man didn't appear to have taken any hostages. At 829, uh, no schools had any lockdown, but school officials were aware. Emergency dispatcher said the man was taken into custody a short time later. What a waste of a...
2: Story. Her name is Cecilia?
1: The name of the street is Cecilia.
2: Oh, I was trying to do a whole like,
1: Cecilia, we'll break down your door.
2: The da the da of the daily thing. Mm-hmm. You see that didn't come together, but there, there was no point in it though because it wasn't her name. No. Okay.
1: A man cell made hostage in the Clark County Jail causing a security alert began at nine last night when Michael Jacobson began bang on the bunk bed with his in his cell. Custody officers in the jail questioned Jacobson, and he began to he demanded to speak to the media, to be moved to a different cell, to have fast food from a local restaurant <laughs> delivered to him. Jacobson had then used a sharp piece of plastic from a utensil to take his cellmate Kenny hostage a SWAT was called in, in and to deal with this incident around 10:30 they used a noise diversion device called a flashbang grenade to enter the cell and were able to uh, help the hostage the man suffered minor cuts and bruises through his hand other than that he was okay
2: flashbang ought to be the name of some porn film that has a lot of choreographed dance scenes
1: mhm
2: flashbang I- i'm fine whatever all right. Hey, speaking of porn, did you see this uh, this Larry Flint story? No, I haven't. Larry Flint is making a new porn film, and is, I saw the Craigslist posting for this. Uh, Flint Productions, and God bless Larry Flint. He is all that is good about this country. Mm-hmm. You know, there ought to be... You know what we ought to start? What? I realize I'm pausing for no reason. That's a rhetorical question. We need to start... You know, there's a Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and a Radio Hall of Fame, and an NFL Hall of Fame. There needs to be, like, an American Hall of Fame. You know, people who really do embody all that makes this country great, both in good ways and in horrible ways.
3: Like the Anna Nicole Smiths of the world and that
2: kind of stuff? Maybe, yes, I could see that. Like maybe a pop culture hall of fame? There's got to be one of those already. There already has to be a pop culture. And if there isn't, I call dibs on that like right now. Um, uh, There should be a pop culture hall of fame, but there ought to be like a great American hall of fame where there's people who, uh, you know, sort of stood up for the cause of liberty in their own unique and colorful fashion, like Larry Flint. You know, and, of course, his struggles, uh, you know, for the First Amendment and in front of the Supreme Court have been well-documented by Milo Schwarman and other people, but um, and also in a really great book called An Unseemly Man, which is Flint's autobiography. Um, but so I saw the Craigslist posting for this in Los Angeles, and I didn't realize, somebody had sent it to me, and I didn't realize at the time it was from Larry Flint's production company, but they were looking for a Sarah Palin lookalike. And it turns out that that Craigslist ad was put out by Larry Flint's people because Larry Flint is now filming, as we speak, he is now making a movie called okay. Nailin Palin.
3: That was what I was going to guess. There I you go. I swear to God, Nailin Palin.
2: Nailin Palin, which is uh, a film being made right now by a provocateur and uh, smut peddler Larry Flint. God bless him. That really is quite wonderful. I think I might actually spend money on that. You know what I mean? I don't think anybody spends money on anything anymore, but I might actually spend money on that just to just as sort of a you know, to give him sort of a financial thumbs up, like a fiduciary. Well done, Larry Flint. So there you go, Nailin Palin. Oh, by the way, speaking of, um, well, speaking of things sort of like that, you might want to go to RickEmerson.com and watch the YouTube video that I put up there, presuming that they haven't removed it by now. Um, It is, believe it or not, safe for work, and I know that it doesn't seem like it's safe for work, but please believe me when I say that it is, I wouldn't lie to you about that. It's Rachel Ray, who, if you haven't seen Rachel Ray, she's sort of like a cross between like a regular TV chef and somebody who'd be pitching like omelet makers, you know, on a late night infomercial.
3: Corn blank is the funniest thing I've ever heard. See,
2: and do you see why I can't... It, but see,
3: You can say it, but it's, not, it's like wrong.
2: I will say this. If you go to my blog, it is today's entry, and there's a phrase there, a word, and the first half of it is corn, and I could say the whole word on the air, technically speaking, you know, under our current if nebulous guidelines. I could use that word on the air, but I'm not going to because it just doesn't it seem wrong.
3: It seems wrong. It made me laugh.
2: <laughs> like, I almost want to call CBS Legal and ask them about this word that's in my web posting. They're like, hey, can I say this on the air?
3: Well, Rachel, wait, she is hard at work. And here's the thing
2: She's doing a good job.
3: She is doing a good
2: job. It is, uh, it, the thing is, it's not a sexual act, though. You know what I mean? It's not a sexual act. It is not, it's not a sexual, uh, or excretory organ or activity. So, but are you watching that video yes. right now? That is unedited. It's unaltered. Tim, have you seen it? No, I haven't. Oh, you got to go watch it live on the oh, air, no, Tim. come here. Hey, we're going to do another installment of watching something on the Internet live.
3: All right, now, should I pot it up, or is it the audio? uh,
2: You can do audio. Yeah, the audio is just them. So let me describe what we're about to play on the air, and then I I really am going to tell you, don't play it yet, but I will tell you, your first opportunity, you need to go to rickemerson.com and look at this YouTube video that is today's um, posting. It is safe for work, I assure you of that. It is, however, very interesting. It is Rachel Ray, who is a TV cook, and kind of bubbly and perky. She's the one whose husband I think went to she, whores because yeah. he wanted to be spit on.
3: And then they're getting like, yeah, I, I think they're getting a divorce now. But yeah, she's very like, she's like that baby-faced cook woman. Yeah, she's, she's a, a little too perfect. Kind
2: of. She's like the Annette Funicello. She's like way too perfect and prim and proper, and you kind of wanna.
3: She, her voice is kind of annoying.
2: Yeah, you kind of wanna, you kind of, you kind of wanna, uh, uh, you wanna dirty her up a little bit. I mean, if you're me. Um. So, she is talking to some, I don't know, some older woman who has brought a product for getting the silk off of an ear of corn. Because, you know, you take down the leaves, and then there's the corn silk. And she has brought a product, and I forget what the name of the product is, for removing the silk from an ear of corn. And how will I put this? To use this product, and again, this is real. We are not making this up. You can go see this at RickHemerson.com. To get the silk off of the ear of corn, one wraps one's hand firmly around the ear of corn and then moves the hand up and down vigorously. Which is what Rachel Ray does. First at regular speed, then in glorious slow motion. In this video,
11: let's and listen. I started playing around, and basically what I'm doing is threading the silk off. Shut up. Your... Yeah, really, really. Get out. Okay, so you're taking, you twist the rubber band, and you put it between your thumb and your forefinger. Okay. Okay. And you take your your corn, and you get as much of the silk as you you can off. Right, and then the other pieces you just rub.
2: Now, this is just the old just woman doing down, it, or the older woman. The Wait till Rachel Ray starts doing it. It. Most of them, it gets most of it off. Uh-huh. It does get most of it off. There's
10: a few pieces that you're going to have to remove. You're threading the corners. Oh, oh, uh-huh. So it, I think... Uh, Cheers. All right. There you Fantastic. Go. I love that.
2: And then they play it back in slow motion with Al Green underneath it. Or no, this is Marvin. What is this? Let's get it on, Marvin Gay.
10: Oh, that is genius. Yeah.
2: So really, I strongly encourage you to go to RickEmerson.com and watch, uh, watch Rachel Ray uh, shucking this corn or Why whatever did it is. you
3: even find that?
2: Guy sent it to me. Oh. How do I find everything? Guy sent it to me. Uh, I mean, it's. I, I mean, it, it, look. I don't know if that's. I don't know if that's date number three with the ear of corn. Uh, you know, but uh, I got to tell you. That's uh, that's worth your watching right there. That's two minutes of your life that you won't want back because it's so wonderful. I mean, that's two minutes of your life well spent watching that. So uh, you can see that at RickEmerson.com. And I and again, I must stress, it is completely and totally safe for work. This aired on Rachel Ray's cooking show, and it is Rachel Ray with her hand around the ear of corn. And I would say, uh, I would say, you know, when it comes to getting getting that silk off, I would say she's doing a good job, wouldn't you?
3: Yes, I definitely think that she did get the silk off.
2: And she does. Uh, you know, because you don't, you don't want the silk on the corner. And I think she says at one point, that really does get it off very well.
10: It does.
2: When she does a, a you know a good job of that. It's a job well done. Let's give her a hand. All right, there you go. You're listening to KCMD Portland, a proud part of the CBS radio family. The network of Edward R. Murrow. Here's Tim Riley.
1: A new poll shows most voters reject negative political advertising, the kind that is flooding the airwaves. According to USA, 73% of people say it's inappropriate for candidates to put out negative ads against their opponent, while 25% said it's okay. Yeah,
2: this is a lie. No one is turned off by negative campaigning. That's a oh. thing. That's some crap that people know they're supposed to say to pollsters at this point.
1: Some of them are, are hilarious. I saw some woman running for some public office in, in West Lynn Claiming that she's awake 24-7 guarding against crime. How is that even possible? Why is it necessary in the city of West Olympia? Was she she falling asleep a lot while talking to you? I don't know. All right. Then there's the other one who who stabbed himself in the head with a screwdriver or something, and that's on like every 30 Jeff
2: Merkley eats hot dogs and doesn't know who his real father is. I'm sure that he does. I'm just making that up. That's satirical right there. Tim Riley.
1: The former CEO of insurance giant AIG is apologizing to a congressional committee for the, quote, pain, unquote, caused by the government bailout of his company. Oops, is my pot up?
13: I'm grateful that the Treasury and the Federal Reserve, and most importantly the American people, offered their assistance to preserve a vital part of the financial system and a great American institution.
1: Former AIG CEO Robert Willemstad Told lawmakers he won't accept a golden parachute.
13: Because my three-month tenure as chief executive officer did not provide the opportunity to execute my restructuring plan, and in light of the fact that AIG shareholders and employees have lost so much value, I've notified the company I do not intend to accept the payments available to me.
2: Who? who I don't even know what he's talking about. My ears glazed over as soon as he started to speak. Uh huh. What is he talking he about? He's the
1: former AIG CEO. All right. Who said he, he won't take a golden parachute. Okay. Democratic Representative Henry the Waxman says AIG was sent a letter by a federal regulators seven months ago. Waxman waiting...
2: would be like the worst superhero ever. That hey, way, way
1: be would be like the most, he'd be like the, you see his lips.
2: Be like the most. He'd be the most, he'd be the most useless fighter for truth and justice. I'm Waxman. Uh, All he would have to do is go outside on a summer day and suddenly he's just a big pile of super goo.
1: Uh, the wax man said the man who caused AIG to implode is still making millions while the taxpayer is paying for the bailout.
0: The taxpayers bought out AIG in an $85 billion bailout. This was a direct result of the mistakes made by Mr. Cassano. Yet even today, he remains on the company payroll, receiving $1 million a month.
1: And what can you do about it, really? Nothing.
2: Nothing, Nothing at
1: all, Tim. Nothing. Revolution, that's all. Well, now it's part of America, isn't it? Since we socialized it, yes, because, it is. I mean, all Americans own this. <sighs>
2: yes, and apparently, I, well,
1: I will say that it does seem that socialism. We only
2: believe in socialism for people who don't need the money. Yes, that's the thing, right? Uh, like it, uh, taking money from somebody and giving it to somebody else who's like actually poor or broke or destitute or whatever. That's uh, that apparently is wrong.
1: They can't afford pedicures anymore.
2: Socialism for companies and for wealthy folks. That's a uh, that's just fine. All right, well, whatever. That's okay. You know, whatever, whenever I get uh, down today, uh, you know, whatever, I'm just going to watch the Rachel Ray thing over and over again. This email says, threading the silk off. Is that what the kids are calling it these days? Yes, it is, sir. Uh, here's Tim Riley.
1: A panel on national health care agrees that neither Barack Obama nor, nor John McCain have uh, decent health proposals. The American Federation of Hospitals President Chip Kahn says Obama's plan doesn't reach everyone.
2: I look at his plan as sort of a bunch of ideas, but I'm not
0: sure where he's going with it. On the McCain side, my uh, heart wants to be positive, but I think he plays with tax policy in a way that's just very uncertain. Yes, he's talking about cost
2: and Obama's talking about universality, but I'm not convinced either get there. With what they have on the plate. Nothing. That, g- that guy's speaking in an empty Holiday in a conference room. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that guy. That guy is in some sort of a meeting hall at like a at like a Best Western where no one else is in attendance. Also, Chipcon sounds like some sort of snack food convention. Uh, oh God, McRib. So uh, McRib is completely back. I got the best snack food last night. And by me, I mean Lara. She brought home. Where was the, this? Well, she brought it home. Uh, it's in my car. Uh, at some point, uh, I and by I, I mean Richie. We'll go out to my car and bring it in. It's this new thing from Frito Lay. It's not a cracker, it's not a potato chip, but it's like somewhere in the middle. It is a cracker that crunches like a potato chip. Have you guys seen what I'm talking about? They're like little tiny. They're like little, really, really, really thin. Are they like water crackers? Wheat thin. So no, no, no.
1: It's a it's a combination of a chip and a cracker.
3: See, but it, that's
2: the thing is, it's neither chip nor cracker. A trapper. It's a.
3: Have heard of pretzels and crackers?
2: No. What?
3: And they make a pretzel cracker. Oh,
2: I've had that. That's really good. Yeah. Craxels. Uh, Crackles may, uh, may, may cause intensive cramping, bloating, diarrhea, bloody stool. Um, <laughs> ever since I got Crackles, my, my boyfriend and I can run through the surf together without fear of syphilis. Um, no, it's like a cracker, but it's like a potato chip, but it's neither. It's wonderful, and it tastes like, a, and it tastes of, uh, of like herb and parmesan. It's quite wonderful. Uh, I brought him Actually, brought him to work today. They're in the car. I'll bring him in later. All right. Here's Tim Riley.
1: Now I forgot I was. T- After that, I don't remember where I was. Well, let me distract Potato you with this. A chip and a cracker.
2: Uh, our good friends at Taboo Video have emailed me to say that when these Nayland Palin film comes out, they're going to get us a signed copy. There you go. I bet
1: Richard already has one.
2: God, problem. He's got the advanced. He's got the direct. The screener cut. Uh, there you go. Here's uh, Tim Riley.
1: The Jennings policy president, Chris Jennings, says it's impossible to get everyone into the health care system without some sort of mandate. To that end, he says Republican John McCain's plan for limiting the health care tax exclusion is radical and will not work.
5: You ask what employers will do. If you're on the edge of providing or not providing, you're not going to provide. And people are going to get this tax credit which is not adequate to purchase a health care benefit in an unregulated health care delivery system. Insurers will insure the healthy people, but if you have a pre-existing condition, you couldn't afford health
1: care.
2: He's in some other conference room on the other end of town where also no one is in attendance. Also, mandate sounds like some sort of a website for cruising hookups.
1: It does, doesn't it? Yes, it does. So let's go back to this uh, Lehman Brothers fiasco. With Congressman Henry Waxman again, he seems to be in everything.
2: Why are we hearing from Henry Waxman twice?
1: I don't know. He's questioning all these people. I guess this is on C-SPAN or something, where people don't watch anyway. Congressman Henry Waxman, the chairman of the House Oversight Committee, that's why he's there, is challenging this fellow named Ferd, who used to be the CEO. Ferd? Ferd. No one named Ferd will ever be elected to anything. This is a typo because his name is actually F-U-L-D, but here it's spelled F-U-R-D. So it's either Ferd or Ferd, but I think it's spelled Anyway, he challenged Feld. Over... It's either Felderford. What is your name? Either Felderford. Really? So he's challenging over his uh, executive compensation since the year 2000. They put up on a bulletin board or something.
0: So you've been able to pocket close to half a million dollars. And my question to you is: a lot of people ask, is that fair for the CEO of a company that's now bankrupt to have made that kind of money? It's just unimaginable to so many people. I would say to you, the 500 number is not accurate. So even if it isn't fair, what
1: are they going to do? Oh, like? I was just going to say why?
2: Look, I don't make to sound apathetic cuz I know I get I get accused of just sort of a, like a bleak nihilism a lot of the time, but I mean, why are we even having these hearings? I mean, we've already given them the money. Yeah. Right? That's what you jackasses. Your chance to interrogate them was before you gave them the money. Because if you once you give them the money, uh, you know, it's like trying to make it's like trying to make a guy take you to a movie after you've already humped him. Not going to happen. You want anything, you make him wait. You say, "Look, here's the carrot." It's like
1: RFK RFK questioning Jimmy Hoffa. What is he going to do about it?
2: That is exactly it.
1: You're Uh, taking advantage of the American working man. Well, yes, I am, but there's nothing you can do about it.
2: I mean, if you really want to interrogate those guys, you should have done it last week. You should have used the $700 billion to create some sort of a time machine to go back and interrogate them before you agreed to give them anything. Because once they got the check, it's like, all this is really doing... Is it just making uh, a bunch of jackass politicians feel like they're taking some sort of responsible role in investigating this? When, of course...
1: Or oh, giving them a book deal. Yeah, when, and of course, this guy's,
2: gonna, you know, this guy's got the money. He's not going to give it back. No one's going to force him to give it back. Mm-hmm. So it is a big waste of everybody's time. Uh, so once this, uh, the bailout deal uh, passed, and it isn't interesting, by the way, that once that passed, now we don't hear anything about it at all. I mean, it still actually hasn't even taken effect, Right. No, it's not doing any good. I mean, it's been it's been passed. I don't know if Bush has signed it yet. Has, has the president signed it? Yes. Okay, so the president has signed it. I didn't even know that. Uh, but uh, I don't know. Has the money started changing hands? Has somebody started getting checks?
1: I would say so, yes.
2: But, but we don't really know, do we? Because no one is now covering it. It's like the big fight about it. And once it was decided it was going to happen, then there was no more coverage of it. So now we don't really understand where the money's going. And frankly, I don't even think we ever got a list of, like, who was getting that money. Just some, you know, the same the pack of shysters and misfits that always get the money. So, yeah. I mean, really, hearings are
1: pointless. So, uh, Democratic presidential nominee Barack Obama is firing back at the John McCain camp in response to his recent attacks from uh, Governor Palin. So now they're bringing up the Keating 5 scandal after Palin criticized Obama for his acquaintance with this radical fellow named William Ayers. Obama's campaign is posting a 13-minute video about McCain's involvement in the savings and loan scandal, and features damaging testimony from Senate ethics hearings.
7: Many of our fellow citizens apparently believe
14: that fella. your services were bought by Charles Keating, that you were bribed, that you sold your office, that you <laughs> traded your honor and your good names
7: for contributions and other benefits.
2: It was that Foghorn Leghorn? That's
1: what I was thinking.
2: He sounds like he sounds like that. Uh, he sounds like that lawyer on Futurama. That's a big. Uh, it's a big chicken. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm talking about? There's that on Futurama. There's that lawyer that uh, talks like Matlock. <laughs> he
3: totally does. He talks like uh, what's his name? Andy. Andy
2: Griffith. And sure it's a, my client could not possibly
3: <laughs>
2: have committed this crime. And then he like pecks at the ground. It's <laughs> the best character. It just makes no sense at all. He's completely surreal. Uh, you know, because they'll say, like, for the prosecutor, and it's like a gelatinous blob, and they'll say, and for the defense, and it's like a chicken wearing pince-nez, like, spectacles. and then chicken will say, and so I call for an immediate acquittal. And then he just, like, runs out of the room after a bag of feed. That's exactly who that sounds like. All right. Well, whatever. And that's from a commercial? Well, I mean, to be fair, wasn't McCain acquitted of all that? Yeah. So, I don't know. Let's, you know, let's be men about it, shall we? All right. Hi, you're on the uh, Rick Emerson Show. Hello.
5: Is this the Rick Emerson show, KCMD Portland?
2: Yes, it is. Thank you.
5: Um
12: Your uh, your Jeff Merkley thing.
2: He's he's hot dogs. I, I got to come up with a new line. Yes.
7: Uh,
12: can I? Can what I else does he do?
2: do?
7: What? Uh, yes.
12: Jeff, Jeff Merkley keeps calling me at dinner time. <laughs> Jeff Merkley doesn't like family time.
7: He keeps
5: calling and calling.
2: Is that the, the end of it? it?
5: That's all of it. All right, I, thought m- calling at dinner
2: time. I thought it might be escalating to something else. Alright, we we would I, need one more all though.
5: I've got.
2: It would need to end on something that had just the slightest bit of creepiness to it, like a um
5: Jeff Merkley eats barbecued pork.
2: No. No, that's not what I meant by creepy. Like um like uh Jeff we're... what's a funny item of clothing? Jeff Merkley I don't know, that starts with a K? Jeff Mer- Jeff Merkley wears a petticoat. Do you want a petticoat? <laughs> okay. No. All right. Thank you, sir. All
12: right. All right it's a you. terrible vision. I can't get out of my
1: head now. All
2: right. Thank you. All
1: right. There you go. All
2: right. Now I can't get out of my head at Petticoat Junction. Here's Tim Riley.
1: John McCain tells the crowd that Barack Obama has brought in $200 million in donations from undisclosed sources. We've
5: already seen the potential for fraud. His campaign had to return $33,000 in illegal foreign funds from Palestinian donors. Why has Senator
12: Obama refused to disclose the people who are funding his campaign?
2: You know, I keep saying that John McCain sort of looks like a zombie, and he does. He looks a lot to me. Like the guy on the uh, on the Day of the Dead video box, I mean, he really he just has that sort of weathered and deep wrinkles and he's spotty and mm. you know and it's not even just that he looks old, he looks bad. There's a difference between looking old and looking bad. And we were talking about Mad Men yesterday how he looks like Betty Draper's dad. Yeah. Uh, so John McCain looks bad, but the zombie analogy is sort of apt, I think, because you know that campaign of his, you know, it really is. As I said, that campaign, of his, they're host. I mean, they it, it is, they are they are done unless Obama makes some massive mistake or some. You look, unless they find, like, a trunk full of dead hookers or something in Obama's basement, you know, uh, you know or unless, God forbid, there's some national security incident or, you know, whatever. But uh, the McCain campaign is hosed. So it is sort of – I almost feel sad for McCain at this point because he is – I don't mean to sound condescending, so spare me the emails about that because I, I feel bad for him. I am sort of embarrassed for John McCain because he did spend so much time being truly independent. And he spent so much time i didn 't always agree with him, but he did seem to have a mind of his own, and you know a lot of that stuff i you know he is on the different end of the spectrum than me ideologically, but he seemed to to follow his own internal beacon, and he you know disagreed with his own party, you know he he disagreed with the Bush administration a lot, you know he really did kind of hew to his own you know his own sort of internal barometer, and so he is like a double loser here, where on the one hand he has traded away, i think in the opinion. Of many people, if not most people, he has traded away his integrity and his reputation and his true legacy as an independent, and he's going to lose anyway. That's the sad thing about it, right? Is like he's just, he's just, you know, he is just a uh, he's just thrown away. I would, if I were not on the radio, he was a more unkind and explicit uh, term. But he has he has let's say sneezed away all of the things that made him really admired by people on both sides of the party. And in exchange for that, he's not even going to win. He's still going to lose. And so he's just sort of limping through these last few weeks, desperately hoping that some miracle, uh, you know, occurs to save his candidacy, which is not going to happen. And meanwhile, he's got this weird, you know, he's got this weird Dwight Fry sidekick, Sarah Palin, who's like out there, uh, uh, you know, Speaking to what apparently uh, is just a whole bunch of inbred nitwits down in Florida who are, you know, when they're not busy cheering for Sarah Palin, are in fact, uh, you know, shouting racial racial epithets at, at black cameramen. So I mean, you know, it's a it's a bad it's a bad deal over there. I'm glad I don't work in the McCain campaign. I'm glad I don't ever have to. I'm glad I don't really have friends that are working in the McCain campaign because that has got to have the stench of death all over it. I cannot even imagine the feeling of despair there must be at this point when you walk into a McCain campaign headquarters. I mean, do you ever, let me ask you this. Do you ever have friends or neighbors or family members or whatever where they were in some real bad way financially or, you know, or personally? There was just some. Laura and I used to know this couple, and I won't identify. This is a long time ago, and this really is in a different state, a different place, different decade. Laura and I knew this couple who was all kinds of bad. um, Lots of credit card debt, all kinds of crap they bought, couldn't pay for, rent that was more than they made. Uh, and then they had all kinds of personal problems on top of that that were exacerbated by all of their financial difficulties. And it was just, it was bad. It was bad all the way around. And, um, you know, and Laura said this thing one time. She said, when she said, I don't like to go over to their house. She's like, it smells like desperation in that house. And everybody's known people like that where you go over and you just get that, uh-oh, things are going really badly in this place. And it must be like that in the McCain campaign. You must walk into a McCain headquarters right now and just smell, like, hatred and anger and fear and panic and doom. I mean, you just have to. I, I I can't imagine it's any other way. So, all right. I'm just Tim Riley.
1: It was just a matter of time before drunk dialing evolved into drunken email sending. Well, now Google Labs has come up with a new experimental feature called Mail Goggles. That works as kind of a sobriety test for emailers. This was
2: my idea! What's the developer idea? of the program
1: has added a bit of a math test comprised of multiplication and addition problems that must be answered correctly before sending the message. I had this idea, but it was for cell
2: phones months ago.
1: The idea is to make sure your brain is in gear before you send out an email you might regret. And the the deal is you have to answer a series of math problems within a short
2: period of time before it will let you send an email when you turn on the drunk emailing feature, which is the idea I had. And by the way, there's still time to make an iPhone app for this. So somebody, like, get on the stick, make an iPhone application that prevents drunk dialing. You just call it, uh, you know, just give me a little something. Let me, let me, you know, Rick Emerson wet his beak.
1: All right. So the sender can set the date and times when you might be the most vulnerable for sending questionable messages.
2: Mm. Fine. Whatever. I'm not going to be bitter about it. I'm a little bitter about it. All right.
1: You know, I may be a simple backwoods hyper chicken,
2: but I do know that this is Jim Roof from Los Angeles. Hello, CNN Radio Correspondent Jim Roop. Hello, Rick Emerson in Portland, Oregon. How are you, sir?
12: I'm doing very well, thank you very much.
2: All right. Uh, okay, so um, I don't even uh, this is how to get into it. I don't even know how to get into this, but let me ask you a question. And I, I don't mean to be flip or do, to to make light of anything, because I was actually going to ask you this the other day. And in fact, the hell was that? Uh, my chair. Okay. Uh, some, some sort of a rooster or something in the background. <sighs> Sorry. Um, are you working at home right now? Uh,
12: No, I'm in the Bureau.
2: Okay, just checking. Um,
12: uh, Tim and I were... would love to be at home right now. Tim
2: and I were having a discussion early on about, uh, and don't get me wrong, I'd be envious if this were the case, but how much of your work you were able to do from home, if Uh, any. Wouldn't that be nice? Um, So, in any event, uh, on Friday, uh, we were rehashing the vice presidential debate, and it was a little bit of a crazy day, and we'd all been going on not too much sleep, and we were all a little... A little aggro, a little a little frayed, and, you know, of course, just the stock market. And this is even before it fell 800 points, yesterday. the stock market up and down. And I went home and my wife said, you know, she said that all of her friends were a little nutty that day. She said everybody's just sort of being a little, you know, acting a little weird, a little jumpy. And Sarah put her finger on it earlier when she said that we are all very anxious. And that even here at the show, we have started to amp down our caffeine intake a little bit because everybody, we're all feeling a little bit just... You know, like your hands are kind of spasmodically clenching a lot for no real reason. Mm-hmm. And my wife said that I should do some sort of an insta-poll about, you know, like, a, is it crazy where you are kind of a thing. Uh, and, I, and I think we will do that because I do get the sense that there is, for lack of a better word, uh, and again, and I don't mean to be flip about this, and we have this horrible story of this guy snapping and, and, you know, this murder-suicide, but do you get the sense that there is a little bit of just that anxious? Yeah, that that raw nerve craziness kind of in the air right now everywhere.
12: Yeah, and it was noticeable after the first time the the rescue package failed. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, once that happened, everybody sort of put their hands in their their head in their hands, and they didn't know what to make of it. So everybody got real antsy and anxious, and and um, almost almost. <sighs> it it's almost acting just before you snap you know everybody's right. kind of especially here it really is very strange i'm glad you brought that up because when i got back from st louis it was noticeable right when i talked to my friends or i would just be at the grocery store i mean people were there there were two kinds there was there was the zombie kind of look and then there was the frenetic kind of um uh busy type
2: person. right right you
12: know so i had that person do my shopping for me But it was it was it was it's noticeable.
2: And I think it's just a confluence of, you know, you say the economy, and that just sounds so big and broad and vague. But I mean, but that's a that's a million things, right? It's it's the constant. And I'm not one of those guys who like blames the internet and the media for anything or whatever. But I mean, you know, because lack of information, I think, you know, people say that too much information makes us anxious. I think probably it used to be the case that lack of information probably made us anxious. So it's just one neurosis swapped out for another. But you know, but the constant talk about the bailout and God lover, Susie Orman on television screaming that things are about to implode. And you know, and and seeing things like, God, I was talking to cast him yesterday. And he's sitting there in New York and as we're talking, he's counting off how many points, you know, the market is down. He's like 650, and 600, you know, eighty, six ninety five as we're on the phone. And you hear that and it messes with your head. It is, you know, hearing things like your bank is gonna is gonna reduce your credit limit. Like you're not gonna be able to get a loan. Uh, you know, college loans are going to be more difficult to come by, hearing that we got to come up with $750 billion. I'm not trying to freak everybody out further, but I'm saying it's all of these things. And then you add into it this uh, election cycle, which has already been, I would say, it's it's a fair estimate to say this has been the craziest, busiest, fastest, most rapidly evolving election cycle we have ever had
12: don't forget the adjective exhausting
2: yeah and exhausting that's the other thing too i mean do you realize uh, when was the when was the republican convention
12: it was in late august
2: maybe so we're like talking about maybe six weeks maybe
12: september uh, the democrats were first
2: so it was how in other words when was the first time we heard the word sarah palin Uh, about a month ago so i mean yeah month to six weeks maybe And so six weeks ago, we never heard of Sarah Palin, and just to use her as a small microcosm. And in that six weeks, we've never heard of her. We've kind of been excited because she's new and different, and it's sort of a thrilling story. Then we went through the whole Bristol Palin being pregnant, that whole thing. Then we went through the Republican convention, where she seemed like the second coming of everything. Then we went through this uh, huge implosion that she had on Katie Couric, like nine different times in a row. Then we've had all of the parodying of her in the popular culture, most specifically by Tina Fey and Saturday Night Live. Now we've got her out there counterpunching, and really, and I'm just, you know, she's obviously taken it upon herself or been told that her job is to be the right hook, and show, you know, and so she goes out there and she's just doing all of these real strong counter punches, and what some people would say very. Divisive attacks, and you know, and Obama is, and but and, you know, and of course, we and let, let's let's be honest, you know, you tar everybody with the same brush. Let's be, they've all both campaigns have dropped any appearance of propriety, and now they're both slinging mud, they're both fighting, they're both on the ground fighting for the knife. Um, you know, and I think all of this stuff put together, I, I Tim and I were saying earlier that we feel, and I hope it doesn't happen, but I feel that like but we have another month of this election and another month of, you know, because nothing's going to get fixed in the next month, and that there are a whole bunch of really, really short fuses in the American psyche right now that are like one spark away from going. I really do feel that way.
12: Well, everybody is overextended, uh, more so than at any other time in our history. We are overextended. We have such huge overheads, and we have been told over the past year especially that things were pretty good and then all of a sudden we get, you know, reality kind of smacks us in the face and now we have all this debt and all this overhead. And that's what happened to that guy yesterday um, or over the weekend, whenever it happened. It It is it is a sad state in which we live because we we don't know what to do now. We're all hoping that this thing doesn't implode, as Susie Orman would, would say. Um, we're just kind of hoping that it all works out, so we don't have to push our stuff around in a grocery cart,
10: right,
2: right uh, so
12: Not that that's a bad thing if you like it, but you know what I'm saying
2: and you know, and I know a lot of people you know everybody's probably heard the story by now, but the but the, the long and the short of it is uh, so there was uh, this guy yesterday um that uh, i guess he and he I guess did he leave a note, or did he specifically he say notes. like this is because of my financial yeah. situation? It,
12: actually, he left three letters two Two suicide notes, giving himself two options: option one was to kill himself. option two, which he thought was the more honorable, was to kill his family first, then himself. I guess not to leave them with all the debt right. but you know he at one point in his world, his financial world, he is an m b a in finance uh, he worked at uh, Price Waterhouse for a while, Sony Pictures, other big places um in in his world, he was considered one of the top dogs. In fact, uh, one one newspaper called him a winner. One trade paper called him a winner at one time. Made over a million dollars in the stock market. Then he lost his job. Then he lost a lot of money in the stock market. Right. He was renting this big house in this gated community in Porter Ranch uh, in, in the West San Fernando Valley of, of Los Angeles. And two luxury SUVs, the whole thing. Kid going to UCLA. Uh, two other kids in school. And He's snapped, you know. No prior mental problems, from what they could ascertain so far, but it just—it just was too much for him. And maybe it was his culture, his uh, Indian culture. Maybe that pride, being the breadwinner, you didn't. Right. Maybe his family didn't know the situation. I, I you know, who knows? Because you—you've heard stories of people getting up, going to work, making their getting up, making lunch, heading off to the house like they're going to work, and they wind up sitting in the park all day. Sure, you know. Maybe it was that situation. And so now everybody, you know, counselors are out there and crisis folks are out there saying, you know, if you notice the signs, reach out and help someone. Reach out and ask for help if you need it. You know,
2: but don't you think, and I you know, and I hate to sound, you know, as soon as we're done with this segment, we're going to have to talk about boobs for like half an hour just to, just as an antidote to this. Right, I'll hang on. But, I mean, don't, don't you don't you feel like, an, an, not to be too melodramatic and say, well, look for the signs, but, I mean, you know, in a sort of overarching sense, kind of like everybody's got the signs right now to some degree.
12: Exactly. Everyone's in the same boat.
2: Yeah. So, you, they're, know? you know, look for signs of financial distress and generalized anxiety. Well, you know, count me in, friend.
12: And there are a lot of people that, that can shoulder burdens very well, and you would never know it. Right. You know, and so you can't look for signs. I mean, people have to reach out. If they need help, they got to put pride aside and say, "I need a little help," uh, especially at the at, at the expense of your family. I mean, come on. I, I, I be, can't see that.
2: And as a sidebar, I would be curious to know. And maybe this has already been done, but maybe you could do this. I would be curious to know how the psychiatric uh, psychiatric industry is doing right now. Uh, now you could say maybe not that well because a lot of people don't have health insurance and a lot of people can't afford mental health care without their health insurance although those resources are, are certainly available but um i'd be curious to know you know what 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 are shrinks seeing right now with yeah, therapists that, that,
12: was, that was my pitch this morning in our meeting to advance the story a little bit um i i, I was going to go in that direction so if they give me the go-ahead that's probably what yeah. i will wind up doing especially I, over the next several weeks
2: i mean i would be really curious to see um, how and two two things actually. One sort of serious, and one almost half serious. I'd be curious to know what the mental health industry is seeing right now in terms of people calling up and going, "Look, I just got to come in. You know, like, do, do you have? I need to speak to somebody like today." That and this is sort of on a lighter note. When January 21st rolls around, I'd be curious to know how much a change in the administration affects the mood of people. Maybe it's good.
12: Maybe it's, But you know what? Or just the stock market.
2: Yeah. I mean, that too. You know, or maybe, and I do think there's some credence to this. Look, I'm not, as my friend Mike Chase would say, George W. Bush, he's no rocket surgeon or nothing. But I do think that there is something to be said for the fact that over the past few years, especially, I think people have taken a lot of their generalized anxiety and fear, and they have projected it onto George W. Bush. And he has been he has been the thing that has sort of kept them going because they have that guy to hate. You know what I mean? Yeah. They're like, George W. Bush is the worst thing in the history of the world. He's, I mean, and you'll hear people on the left say things like, he's worse than Hitler, you know, and it's like, which is like ludicrous. But, you you know, people will find a thing, and that's the thing they're going to blame. George Bush is my scapegoat, and certainly George Bush has done enough that he can rightly be blamed for, but I think a lot of people just blame him for, you know, Pompey, George Bush caused that. (laughs) I would be curious to know, once Bush is no longer in office... Are there going to be a fair number of people out there who don't have a ready target onto which they can project all of their anger? And where's that going to go? You know, if George Bush isn't around for you to hate anymore, and if it's Obama, let's say, where are you going to put all that anger? Because you're not going to have George Bush to project it onto. So, I, you know, I'm curious about the mental you know, state of America and where it's going to be in a couple months. I really interesting,
12: am. Interesting. Interesting.
2: All right. Well, there you go. You can steal that from me, sir. I,
12: I already have. <laughs> good for you. <laughs> thank you.
2: All right. Remember, good artists borrow, great artists steal. Uh,
12: thank you very much. All right.
2: Well, uh, I guess uh, go have yourself some, uh, go have yourself a, uh, you know, double-double and double fries.
12: I, I, I probably will a little bit later on because right now I think they're the cheapest thing you can buy.
2: That's what I'm saying. Good and good for you, my friend. Thank you, sir. All right. Thank you, Jim Roop.
12: Take
1: care. All right. There you go. Uh,
15: Jim Rupp. All
2: right. Hello, Tim Riley. Well, hello. What are all these people calling about?
1: It's a talk show.
2: I know, but.
3: <laughs> I think there's still people holding from the all insane right, clown. Hold
2: on, I just. Yep. Uh, really? I'm sorry, I, I didn't. I was too busy looking for the. Where's my wah, wah, wah thing? Wah, there you go. Uh, let me just get it. Well, they're not screened, so I have no way of knowing. <clears throat> Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson uh, show. Hello. I
15: have a shrink answer. My best, one of my best friends is a shrink, and he says he's working till 10 p.m. every night. He's booking about 25K a month, and. Um,
2: Man, that's a growth industry. Tim just gave yeah. the thumbs up.
15: Absolute growth industry. And
2: Man, I have the a ground question. floor,
15: yes. The only thing we learn from history is that we don't learn from history. Thank you. Bye.
2: All right, thank you. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. You know what? My shrink's out of town for a month. Thanks. Thanks. I appreciate that. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hey.
13: I just wanted you to know that uh, you have these things about mental health. This is Mental Health Awareness
2: Weak. Really? Is it? Is it actually?
13: Uh, You know, I'm serious. I spoke last night about schizophrenia. Uh,
2: Did you interrupt it by just barking every now and again occasionally?
13: Yeah.
2: I'm sorry. It's uh, it's what I do. Uh, So wait, now, are you a, what do you do? Are you a shrink?
13: No, no, I'm actually, I'm a mental health advocate. I have a daughter who has schizophrenia.
2: Okay. And so did you, so then, well, let me then retroactively apologize, but uh, so did you, when you say you speak, is that to other parents who are dealing with that or what is the, you know? Yeah
13: uh There's an organization called NAMI, which is a National Alliance on Mental Illness, mm-hmm. and they have, in Washington County, uh, at their headquarters or their office, they're having programs each night this week about different aspects of mental illness. It's uh, just, you know, just you brought it up and said you're worried about the...
2: And so do you, I mean, just based on, because you obviously then come into contact with people who are dealing with mental illness, either themselves or a loved one yeah. or whatever, so do you... Do you sense that, uh, that to anybody who maybe is, whether they've got something serious uh, like schizophrenia or whether it's uh, something just sort of low-grade generalized depression, do you get the sense that it is being exacerbated by what's going on right now? Sure.
13: Stress stress you know adds to it. You know, it's, it's a trigger. You know a lot, In the case of a lot of people with schizophrenia, if, if you reduce the stress they have in their lives, they, they tend to recover and they tend to do right. better. Right. But it's just like anybody, you know. That you create additional stress, it just taxes the system, and then that's when things happen. All
2: right. Well, how weird that I brought that up, and it is National uh, Mental Health. What is it? National Mental Health Awareness Week. Yeah. All right. So, and by the way, sir, if it makes you feel better, I'm going to go home, and my wife is going to is going to savagely beat me both verbally and probably physically for the schizophrenia joke. So uh, I'll get I'll get what's coming to me for <laughs> no, that later.
13: I, I, no, I understand. <laughs> it's um, she it's it's kind of a, a different story but she actually uh, auditioned for American Idol while you know suffering from schizophrenia and came one audition from being on the show
2: now so if she's, if i can now if i may ask and it's certainly you don't have to answer this it, 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 schizophrenia is like a whole that's a whole rainbow of stuff right i mean that's that's from is that from the, the minor to the very i mean is it is it overtly noticeable always or uh
13: y- yes and no i mean you you can have a person who is there are thousands of people with schizophrenia but it it comes and goes, and it manifests itself in different ways. You know, there's a lot of different symptomology that come there. You know, what most people think you know split personality, which is right. not. It's it's generally classified as a, uh, psych, a psychotic disorder. It's a loss of connection with reality, uh, delusions of grandeur, paranoia, a whole bunch of different things like that. It can be very very serious. I mean it. One, about one in six or one in seven people who have schizophrenia end up doing themselves in, mm, which, mm. Is a, which is the terrible part of it. Uh, but, yet there are many, many people who go on and recover. Well, and there are a lot of treatments for
2: you, them. You are a stronger man than I am, my friend. So, um, all right, well, I hope things stay on a relatively even keel on your end of things. Thanks for the heads up on the uh, National Health Week, sir. Hey,
13: thanks. Th- thanks for intelligently discussing it.
2: It's what I do when I'm not all making right. insensitive jokes. There <laughs> you go. Thank you. Uh, I blame Imus for that, by the way. I blame Imus for that because of that. Who's Imus? You know that guy, Tom Broca? Um Because that sketch he used to do with Brian Wilson, who, by many accounts, is schizophrenic. That sketch where Brian Wilson would just be—he would just be sitting there, and it was the one joke over and over again. And God help me, I'm a terrible person. It made me laugh. Where Brian Wilson would just be sitting in the sandbox, and be—and you hear the like the seagulls in the background, and Brian Wilson would go. So this is Brian Wilson. I'm in the sandbox, and uh, I want to play you my new song. That's just bark, 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 and then he would just start barking. And God help me, I laughed every time. I'm a terrible person. I will say this about schizophrenia. And we got a break. We'll come back. We got a lot of calls to get through. So if you're on hold, hang tight. I-, I guess the cutoff point for when that the onset of that is. I think it's 25, 26. They say once, you, for whatever reason, once you hit 25. If you haven't had any onset of that, I guess that it drops by like ninety percent the likelihood. And my mother in law, Lara's mom, is a is a you know, she's a mental health worker. And I guess like the day Lara turned twenty five, like her mom had like a little private celebration, uh because that because she saw it all the time. And if you don't get it by twenty five you know, it drops, like, by 90% the odds that you ever will. So it's like that's a big, like, looming, spectery thing out there. All right, we come back. We'll get uh, more of your calls on hold. Tim Riley continues around the corner. 2 o'clock, Henry Rollins joins us. Nina Parker from TMZ.com. And we will get to uh, either the worst song you've ever heard, Celebrity Edition, or the greatest songs ever made. You stay there. It's the Rick Emerson Show. Don't no go anywhere. Why, hello, it's the Rick Emerson radio program. The crazy has begun to seep into here, I think. All around us. Ever. I know, and there's
3: like. Yeah, I've put the little break choking on the thing that was floating around in Swallow here. Swallow
2: one of Tim's flying bats.
3: <laughs>
2: you did that thing of drinking. Some water
3: or whatever. No, I didn't. I didn't drink any water. I'd just gone to refill all my water. I walked in, and then all of a sudden, my throat just closed up.
2: Oh, out of nowhere. Yeah. Oh, and then nowhere. you did that horrible thing of coughing so hard that you wrenched
1: your back.
3: Yeah, but I like pulled out my back. That's, That's no
1: good. Awesome. No, that mystery coughing happens in here a lot. Oh, it happened know? to me a couple of days ago. I don't know where. I'm... Uh,
3: yeah. That was freaky. It felt like some allergic reaction mm-hmm. or something. Also, my throat. Just closed.
2: No, there's all kinds uh, of weird things. Oh, the notion back. of your throat closing up is no good. My uh, one of my older brothers is allergic to bees. And he gets that thing of a bee stings him where he's just all. And he has to carry that little whatever with the an anal- shot stuff or whatever that stuff is. Um. Anyway. Well, that's like the thing at the beginning of the show where I'll come in. Uh, I'm in fine voice as they say in the music world, and then as soon as I start to speak, I'm like, <clears throat> and I'm having to like hack up a bunch of uh, whatnot. All right, we'll get the calls here in a second. Headlines from Tim Riley, Nina Parker from TMZ.com. Uh, Two o'clock, we will talk to Henry Rollins. Uh, it's going to be here next Monday, October 13th, at the Newmark Theatre, <coughs> to celebrate the end of the Bush era. Henry Rollins hitting the road with a brand new election time talking tour. Tickets at Ticketmaster.com. Next hour, we will endeavor to give away a pair of Henry Rollins tickets uh for 60 seconds of uh, speaking. Uh Let's see here. Uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello.
1: Hey, Rick, how you
14: doing? Yo, what's up? Yeah, I drive for Trimet. Mm-hmm. Things are nuts out there. <laughs> Things are absolutely insane lately.
2: You mean uh, like more? I mean, because it's on a curve. If you're if you're driving for a TriMet, let's be honest, the the bar is set a little differently than just if you're well, just standing on the street. No,
14: because you're getting. You know, we're kind of a microcosm of what the world ha- is happening in the world because we get everybody. Right. And you've got the people who can't afford gas, who've never <laughs> ridden before, who are riding with us now because of that. You got people that are out of jobs, that are looking for jobs. I mean. You'll pick up somebody one day from one of the banks downtown, and they're an executive, and the next day they're out looking for a job. Right? It's it's, it's crazy, what? and then just general craziness. It's just
2: and just you know some guy that you know bus pass, please. You know, just uh, who never thought he would be uttering those phrases, and that makes for a particular b- blend of like fear and anger, I would think.
14: Well, yeah, and plus you've just got everybody from all classes together, so yeah. you're just really seeing how it's affecting every. Everybody in society,
2: and as and Tim will tell you, that shouldn't be the case. The classes should be separate, sir, isn't that right, tim? <laughs> well,
14: especially
1: especially on the max
14: well, so, what you what notice too, is that the more well to do who are just coming into problems are having more problems than the people who've been down and out for a long time.
2: oh yeah, well, I think that's I think that is a lot of times the case that somebody who yeah. uh you know who has dealt with disadvantageous circumstances before. And this is well covered by Max Brooks in World War Z, and oral history of the zombie war. Uh, They adapt, I would say, relatively easily. Uh, If you are used to a life of affluence, and then suddenly, uh, you know, you're you're there like rummaging around for change so you can get on the max, uh, that might be a little bit of a shock to the (laughs) system.
14: Yeah. You know it's amazing. You'll you'll have these guys come up who are in you know five hundred dollar suits and with briefcases and saying, "Hey, I don't have any money. Can I ride for free?" Because they are just totally broke,
2: and because they have no idea of how the system actually works because they've never had to ride public transportation.
14: Well, it's also that they just don't have any money. I mean, they don't have any more credit. They are losing everything. They've lost their jobs, and yeah, they just you know. I'm looking for a job. I don't, you know, I don't have a penny to my name. You know, my wife sent me out without a quarter today, and, uh, you know, because you know we can't buy food for the kids.
2: So. Buddy, can you spare a two-zone transfer stub? <laughs> exactly. All right. Thank you, my exactly. friend. All right, yeah, stay stay yeah. safe out there. It's crazy everywhere.
0: It's buddy crazy everywhere. Can you spare?
2: God bless you, Tim. I deleted my buddy. Can you spare a dime? Or bless you, Sarah Dillon. We had a long discussion about this song earlier today before you came in. I deleted. Because that used to be our. Didn't we? Wasn't it for Richard Nunn? It's the
3: unemployment open and closed.
2: But I think we specifically started using it when Richard Nunn got fired. Uh, he got fired and we started using it for him because he was looking for a new job. And then, we, then it became the unemployment watch, which we forgot, or I forgot about. It. And then I think so much that I actually deleted it out of the system. You're a good, but thank you, Sarah. You're a good person. Is no, that Sim, a wave? And I
3: was talking about it this morning. Mm-hmm.
2: Is it a wave or an MP3? Or is it in the system? It's in the audio system, it's in the it's in the actually. Yes,
3: A unemployed. What is the close? and A unemployed close. Actually, the open's kind of messed up. I actually just played the close because I was listening to the open this morning. What does the
2: open sound like? And it stops, oh, it's chopped. It so oh,
3: that's it just weird. It needs to be trimmed.
2: Uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson show. Hello.
3: Hey, Rick. How are you? What's
2: up? Um,
15: the story about the uh, suicide uh, was reminding me, um, you know, when I was in school and they were teaching you about the depression. Um, you know, you heard about Hoover towns and everything. Um, but, uh, then I was doing some reading a few months ago and they were saying that one of the things that helped, uh, spur, uh, the government into action was they were just having these spontaneous waves of suicides all to, all across the uh, farming belt. And it was, uh, same thing. Same thing, just different people. Uh, just farmers who just were losing everything. They were going to be destitute and they were worried, you know, well, what's going to happen to my children? You know, they're going to turn to crime or whatever. And so it was just in the middle of the night, you know. You know, the milk man to come in the morning or whatever, and everybody's dead, you know, uh, with a suicide note or not. Well, you know,
2: and there's you talk about Hoovervilles. So you, you talk about it's just a media term. Because we think that sort of the media just tagging you with some some oversimplification and ruining your career, we think that's a recent development. You know, Herbert Hoover who by many, if not most, I guess, mishandled uh, that whole state of affairs in the Depression. Okay. You know, these right. people, you know, who are, get booted out of their house. See if this sounds familiar. People, you know, the economy crashes, the stock market nose dies, everybody gets kicked out of their house that they can no longer afford, and they end up living in these, you know, these sort of shanty towns, these sort of clapboard house communes, which because of Herbert Hoover and how despised he was, they started calling Hoovervilles. And, I mean, any hope that guy had of, uh, you know, keeping his political career, they start naming shanty towns after you, you, you're done. Put a fork uh, in you. You are finished.
15: I, I see that coming for our beloved president.
2: Yeah. Well, whoever, look, I got to tell you this. I know that being president, you know, it pays you a lot and, you, you know, you get hot, you, you know, you, you get hot uh, interns to come in and do you or whatever. But it, I don't envy the guy who has to come in and fix this. Yeah. And it's you know, and and being able to spend the first month going George Bush's fault, that's only going to earn you about thirty days, and then people are going to be going, okay, well that's great, fix it, friend. Yeah,
15: exactly, because like half the money he was counting on for programs that he wanted to do.
2: Oh no, that's anymore. not. Yeah, yeah, keep an eye out for that health care he was promising you. Oh, any day now that's going to happen.
15: All right. Interesting times they say. Thank you. Thank you.
2: Yeah, and by the yeah, that's another no because of the economy. i don't going to be Johnny uh, Johnny Gloommaker. But all of that crap that Obama, let's be honest, they were lies at the time, but at least they seemed like plausible lies. And we're going to have health care for every American. No. We're going to end our dependence on foreign... No.
1: We're going to go to Mars. No.
2: Not going to happen. That
1: money is to prop up America as it is now. Yeah,
2: that's the thing. And you know Jerry Seinfeld in that great documentary, Comedian, where it follows him going on the road rebuilding his act... And Jerry Seinfeld says something that you don't really think about. He, you know, you think, okay, if you're Seinfeld, you're going to go out there and do stand-up. You know, everybody immediately loves you because you're Jerry Seinfeld. Everybody, you know, is like, hey, we're going to go see Jerry Seinfeld. And he says, you know, that gets you like 10 minutes. You know, that buys you about 10 minutes that you're Jerry Seinfeld. After that, if you're not funny, people are going to, they're going to sit there and go, oh, look, I paid $75 for this, and you're not funny. And they're going to go tell everybody, I paid $75. He, guy's not funny. So that's the thing with, let's say it's Obama, let's say it's McCain, whoever. They're going to, you know, they win the presidency, whoever it is. They're going to have about 30 days where they can go, look, George W. Bush and his minions and his cronies and whoever, they just screwed this so badly. It's going to take some time to dig out. It's pe- four years. And people will buy that for about a month. But rightly or wrongly, at the end of a month, Americans are going to go, yes, we know. It's all George Bush's fault. I need a job. What are you doing? Uh, and so this, whoever wins this election, their first term is going to be really dangerous. Because they gotta fix stuff, or the Americans are gonna boot everybody else out again in 2012. Uh, I guess we normally wait on Nina Parker to call us, but she hasn't. Um,
3: Hey, Richie. I know she's contacted us because I've received some emails from TMZ. Uh, uh, Richie, uh, don't they ask Nina Parker? Come Come on.
2: What? Did you not call her? That's not an answer. He said she called us. I just asked him during the break, and he said that she normally calls us. Huh? Because we're gonna have to break because we got Rollins at the top. So, um, Richie, uh, here's what you might want to do. You might want to give Nina Parker a call and let her know that we might have to, if she's free in the 2 o'clock hour, you know, like 2.20 or something, we could probably do that. Uh, but we're going to have to break here in a second uh, because I don't want to be, you know, you're late for Rollins. He'll come to the phone and kill you. All right, here's Tim Riley. We'll do a couple more break.
1: The Federal Reserve invoking depression-era power under unusual and unusual circumstances will buy commercial paper a short-term financing mechanism that many companies rely on to finance their day-to-day operations.
2: We're taking out a payday loan, aren't we? Mm -hmm. That's what this is. The Federal Reserve is going to a payday loan place. Yes. Okay.
1: So they haven't done this in many, many years. The Dow Jones Industrial Average dropped another 508 points and retirement accounts have lost two trillion dollars. Meanwhile, the British government will inject billions of dollars into the Great Britain's financial system to shore up the institutions running short of cash. The government and the Bank of England plan the infusion to take place overnight. Such big financial names as Royal Bank of Scotland, Lloyds, and Barclays could be beneficiaries. Now, wait a minute. Barclays just bought part of Lehman Brothers. I thought they bought... I'm confused. I don't know who's buying what. I think the Brits bought Lehman Brothers, at least a chunk of it anyway. So now it looks like they're in trouble, and they're going to get bailed out by the Bank of England.
2: So, all right, but I don't understand. All right, and I've got this great Steve Holt as a bastard thing that Sarah sent me that we've got to play. All right, it's 503-733-2970. Uh, in a few minutes, we will talk to uh, punk icon and spoken word rock tour Henry, uh, Henry Rollins. Um, we're going to be giving away tickets to uh, Henry Rollins' spoken word gig uh, the gig is next week. We'll be trying to give away a pair of those next hour. Also, uh, we will do either. It's the worst song you've ever heard. We might be also be able to get to uh, greatest songs ever made. Richie, is this Nina Parker? Because we can talk to her right now. If that's Nina Parker. If indeed that is. All right. Let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show from TMZ.com, our good friend Nina Parker. Hello. How are things in your world, Nina?
11: Hello. How are you guys doing today? Things are great.
2: We think there's a little bit of crazy in the air, not just here, but everywhere. We think there's a, there's a little bit of nuttiness uh, uh, out there, but that's just our estimation, and Then we might be wrong about yeah, that.
11: Yeah, for sure. This economy is making everybody go nutty.
2: Yes, yes, it is. Um, hey, so are you, and I just got a little thing from TMZ right here. Let me see if I've got this. Uh, are you discussing um, this Sarah Palin video, and I apologize if you're not, uh, I'm just looking at TMZ here, so I didn't know if you were able to talk about that right now, this uh, Larry Flint thing.
10: Um, yeah, I mean,
11: we can, I sh- we can talk. We weren't. We didn't have it on our list. Yeah, so. I, don't, I, don't mean,
2: I don't mean. to put you on the spot. I'm looking at somebody. Somebody, this. I couldn't tell if it came from you guys or not. But I guess basically the long and the short of it is that Larry Flint is doing this. Uh, doing this film that is uh, the, the parodying uh, Sarah Palin. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And and so Larry Flint is sort of. He's one of those guys that can always sort of be counted on to generate uh, news. Uh, you know, like clockwork every time something like this happens. Uh, right. He's sort of very reliable. And you guys, you know, has Sarah Palin been been good to you all in the gossip industry in general?
11: full to laugh at her. I mean, the whole Tina Fey thing, has made it a lot of comedy. So, I mean, absolutely, that's something that uh, gives a lot of fuel to quite a few jokes and stories. So, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's good. It's good stuff for the entertainment world.
2: Um, I will also say that I'm looking here and there's a few, I'm looking at the TMZ, uh, uh, the sort of prep sheet we got. And there's a couple words that uh, will make everybody's uh, hearts skip a beat or two. Uh, where it says It says Jessica Alba. And then immediately after that, it just says sex life. And that's it. It says <laughs> Jessica Alba, and then it says sex life, and maybe there's other words there, but I'm sort of blurring everything else out. Yeah, uh,
11: there's other words, but.
2: <laughs> what is the uh, what is the latest with our friend Jessica Alba?
11: Well, there's an election ad basically featuring Jessica Alba wrapped in bondage tape, and it's supposed to turn people on to voting, not really turn them on. Ah. So it's it's kind of getting a little crazy, and the ad was for Declare Yourself. It was a PSA for their message. And if you guys, just so that you know on a side note, apparently uh, people have been bombarding a couple of local places for bondage tape. I don't know if This is something that's caused by the ad, but it's, you know, gained a little bit of popularity. So I don't know if she knew what this ad was going to trigger, but uh, bondage sites are kind of loving it.
2: Hey, by the way, I'm looking at this ad right now, and i got to say it's both hot and kind of creepy at the same time. It is a little... It is a little don't make a noise or what they'll find you in a drainage ditch sort of. Yeah, I mean, it's, it definitely is. It's I mean I guess it's sort of sexy, but it's a little uh, terrifying at the at the same time. So I mean it really it really is one of those things where as the election and the news cycles get faster and faster, you got to be louder and more shocking to sort of cut through, you know, to cut through all of the static. Well,
11: people are definitely looking at it, for sure. Uh,
2: they definitely are. Uh, and then um, I know that there is, we've been tracking sort of the saga of Hugh Hefner and his various girlfriends. I think he had, what, like seven of them or something. Um, but Holly Madison, when well, she makes some statement, are they officially, when well, has Hefner just dumped all his girlfriends? Did they all dump him? What happened?
11: Well, I mean, the guy's 82 years old, and these girls are, you know, all in their 20s. And it just came to the point, that Holly Madison is... If everyone knows some girls next door, she's his number one girl. She's right. the one that shares the room with him, and she officially told us on camera that she's no longer with him. She's bought a condo. She hasn't completely moved out of the mansion yet. She's working on it. They're still filming the show, but uh, the relationship is definitely over. So she's been with him for quite some time, but she wanted to get married. She wanted to have kids, and he was not willing to do either.
2: Yeah, I think he's been he's been down that road twice, and I uh, I mean still like, married. Yeah, at this point, if you're at this point if you're Hefner, there's just uh, yeah, there's really just no reason to there's no reason to be settling down. I'm I mean, what do you? Right. the time to do that was earlier.
11: Right. He's not going to
2: settle down right. at 82. All right. Nina Parker from TMZ.com. Uh, a little bit crazy, a little bit hectic, but as always, thank you for making time for us. We appreciate it. Oh, thanks so much. All right. We'll talk to you next week. All right, Richard. Can you, uh, can you talk to Nina and actually, um, I don't know, I didn't mean to blindside her with that, uh, that Sarah Palin thing. So somebody had sent me, we get this prep sheet every day from TMZ, and it's like they're talking about, you know, whatever the story is. And I think because, like, there's always sort of lawyers sniffing around them, They kind of don't talk about certain stuff on the air until it reaches a certain level of vetting. So just here's what happened a little behind the scenes as we're talking to, to Nina Parker just now. I have the TMZ prep sheet, and then by sheer coincidence, literally like within the same five seconds, I get an email, as it turns out, with just a forward from TMZ where it's like, send this story to a friend. And somebody had sent me a TMZ story about this Sarah Palin video. And so there was, that's what you heard, the confusion in her voice. I thought it actually had come from Nina Parker, and it hadn't. So, All right. It is 503-733-2970. I think we're going to be uh, talking to Henry Rollins here uh, in just a few. So, Tim, uh, if you want to, uh, we'll just do a few headlines here, and when Henry Rollins joins us, you can go off to uh, prepare the magic that you prepare here on KCMD Portland.
1: Well, it looks like Charlie the Tuner will have to learn how to speak Korean. StarCase Tuna has just been sold to the South Koreans. For something like $300 million. Well,
2: I'm going to stick with schooner tuna, Tim.
1: John McCain and David Letterman reportedly are trying to make nice after their little tip. The New York Post cites knowledgeable sources as saying representatives for John McCain and the late nine hosts are trying to work on an October 15th schedule. So Letterman, of course, is miffed at the McCain for uh, canceling his planned appearance. Well, disabled actors want more movies, and this fellow CSI actor... Robert David Hall himself, a devil leg amputee, says he just wants a fair chance to audition for more parts, as do most uh, people in wheelchairs. I believe
14: more strongly than I did 26 years
16: ago that if people don't see themselves reflected accurately in all forms of media, they're out that we are out of sight and out of mind.
2: He says exactly like that guy in They Live uh, that's always doing the, the shortwave television broadcast. They are here,
1: walking among us, controlling the economy. This Tim Riley. Getting pulled over by a police officer in the Texas town of Little Elm might not be a bad experience for all drivers. We
14: started a new program in Little Elm where we believe in rewarding our good drivers for their
1: good driving behavior. Sergeant Brad is looking for drivers who practice good habits on the roadway.
14: I am looking for people using their turn signals. I'm looking for people wearing their seat belts.
1: Rodney is surprised to receive one of the rewards after being pulled over by the sergeant. It was a good bright day for a Monday. <laughs>
2: I don't understand what we're listening to there.
1: Big doings in Little Elm, Texas.
2: <laughs> Thank you for dropping your G, Tim. That's how you speak You're to the. Uh, welcome. That's, that's how you speak you to the are. common man. All right.
1: <laughs> Let's see. Uh, on the eve of this uh, presidential debate, a new uh, Time/CNN poll—well, the debate is tonight—shows uh, John McCain still struggling in states won by George Bush in 2004. signed that last week's vice presidential debate did little effect on uh, voter opinion. In North Carolina, which Bush won by more than 12 percentage points, McCain and Obama are locked in a dead heat. In Indiana, Bush won by 21 points in 2004. McCain maintains a slight five-point lead over Obama. In Ohio, where Bush won by slight margins in 2000 and 2004, McCain trails Obama by three points. So... Whatever you want to believe as far as the polls go. And
2: so the debate is happening. I mean, we're not going to be carrying it. We will be, by, uh, by the way, carrying, uh, what, next Wednesday. We're going to be carrying the final presidential debate. Mm-hmm. So we carry the VP debate. We're not going to carry tonight. So we're going to carry the presidential debate uh, next Wednesday because it's the last one. that oh, is next Wednesday, the 15th already? Yeah. So I keep saying we got a month uh, of campaigning left, but I guess we don't. I guess it's less than that. I mean, it's what? It's got to be like 27 days, something like that. So I don't know. It, I, it is strange to me. Well, uh, I was going to say it's strange to me that it could still be this statistical dead heat, but I guess it is only statistically speaking. Yes. Because if you look at the electoral map, I guess the general consensus is that Obama has got it basically so locked up in so many states that he really only needs either A, just Florida, or a couple swing states uh, to really make it happen. I mean, that's just sort of, that that sort of seems to be what everybody's sort of saying at this point. So you've got to wonder if anybody's going to watch. I'll be curious to see what tonight's. Ratings are for the, you know, for tonight's debate as contrasted with the VP debate and contrasted with next week's debate. Because this, I think tonight is theoretically all about the economy, but they've all kind of been all about the economy, and the next week's is all about uh, domestic policy. But it just, I don't really see anybody getting, I see people getting excited about watching Barack Obama tonight, but I don't really know even his most ardent supporters. I can't see them. Getting all like jazzed up about it. I'm gonna go home and watch John McCain this, talk this, for 90 minutes. This
1: is pretty much over, I think. I, I
2: think it is. Except we're
1: members of the chattering class. I
2: think it is, Tim. We are the leaders of that class.
1: <laughs> we all are, right. Stu. Uh, so, I, I,
2: I don't know. I'm, I'm unclear on the Rollins thing. So, I part of me wants to like take a break and get it, you know, sort of get us back. So we can
3: cut the break short if he calls in. All right.
2: Well, let's do let's do that then, actually, Tim. We're just gonna go bre- go to a break. We'll come back. Uh, on the other side, we will presumably talk to punk icon Henry Rollins. Uh, later on, we'll have It's the Worst Song You've Ever Heard and quite possibly another installment of the greatest songs ever made. We'll do 60 Seconds of Speaking for a pair of Henry Rollins tickets, more of your phone calls, like us at 3. Stay there.
10: You check out, She's my latest attraction.
2: Hi, hello, it's the Rick Everson Radio Program. Thank you for coming along. An excursion into flawless execution flawless. Of comedy and entertainment.
3: No flaws. All
2: right. It's 503-733-2970. We're geniuses. And by we, I mean me. I
3: know. <laughs> like You flip that W upside down, mister.
2: Uh, what? Oh, we, me. Oh, richie you. All right. It's 503 733 733 I see the warm line ringing. This may, in fact, be uh, Mr. Henry Rollins. So uh, we will uh, wait for Richie to, uh, to let us know about that. Uh, don't forget, later on this hour, we will be giving away a pair of tickets to see Henry Rollins live. He's doing his spoken word next Monday, October 13th, at the Newmark Theater. Uh, to celebrate the end of the Bush era, Henry is hitting the road with a brand-new Election Time Talking Tour uh, tickets still available at Ticketmaster. dot uh, com. So that is going to be uh, that is going to be later on this hour. We will do that. That's
3: uh, a lot of tease. I'll we've also talking to our Ticketmaster.
2: We've also got. Hold on a second.
3: A uh,
1: KSL Delio. a number Delio.
2: All right. Thank you. I'll just stay here. Uh, so that is uh, later on this hour. We'll do uh, sixty seconds of talking uh, for Henry Rollins. We also have um, uh, it's the worst song you've ever heard and Tim Riley coming up and all that. Hi. You're on the Rick Emerson radio program. Hello.
6: Hey, Rick, how you doing? What do you got, sir? Hey, uh,
13: I don't know if you saw it, but the other day on uh, the web, there was video footage of uh, Sarah, Sarah Palin during a beauty pageant in a bathing suit.
2: Now, is this now this is actual, because there was that bikini photograph of her. Is that the one you've got in your MySpace? The yes. bikini photo, I which I think... I
3: that one. Oh, it's totally photoshopped. Which
2: we all know is fake, but which is great anyway. So this is actual footage?
13: This was actual footage from one of the news... Uh, channels on the
2: web well see and that's i said early on that that was going to be the thing that sort of sunk her uh was as soon as those photos got out like these little like glamour shots of her with like the big dynasty hair or whatever uh you know because she was a sportscaster and she does have that sportscaster sort of look so all right on that note ladies and gentlemen it is a pleasure to welcome to the rick emerson show he's going to be at the newmark theater monday october 13th tickets at ticketmaster.com the one and only henry rollins hello sir how are you today
6: Hey, how
2: are you? I am. Uh, I'm fantastic. A little bit. A uh, little bit uh, fragile today. I. Uh, you're sort of going around, and as you do, uh, you know your your speaking gigs, and going, you go, you you know, you go up on stage, and it's just you and the mic and a bottle of water for three hours, and you talk to people. Do you get the sense? Because we've been talking about this a lot today, that there is a little bit of crazy in the air right now in America.
16: Well, it was as far as the elections.
2: Just in terms of or, the general
16: the elections, plus Wall Street, plus everything oh, else.
2: All of that. Do you get the sense? Because you, you know, you see thousands of people, and do you get the sense that the, uh, there is an overall, yeah, sense of anxiety and sort of weirdness out there, maybe to a greater extent than there has been?
16: Yeah, sure. Uh, so I think you're seeing a lot of people having to look at some real, in, you know, some real instability in their day to day. Is my money okay? Is my house okay? Is my country okay? And when banks start kind of foreclosing, like, you know, in an afternoon, all of a sudden things are changing, those who pay attention to this stuff have great cause for concern. So, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I talk to people after shows, and they're, they're quite concerned with things. And when I talk about it on stage, you, you get a quite a reaction from the audience. So, yeah, it's an interesting time in America right now.
2: And I know that uh, some of the press material has said that when you're out on this uh, most recent tour that it's going to be sort of, I don't know, sort of a, a, a jaundiced bon voyage to, to George W. Bush. Is that is that accurate, or is that just a small part well, of
16: it? for a moment. I mean, it's not like the whole show is about the guy in that um, a, after eight years, you know what you know, and you think what you think. You know, and you, 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 if you didn't like the guy, you're not liking him now. If you like the guy, I don't know what your opinion is. But I'm just saying, everyone knows, you know, they've made their jokes and whatever. So I spend a moment on the guy. but I, But basically – the last eight years, uh, America has moved a lot of, uh, large objects in, in the, in the world. You know, things are different since, uh, Bush came to town. And so I, since I travel quite a bit, you know, Africa, Southeast Asia, Middle East, and all these places, I see, you know, and talk to people on the other end of all of it. And so by talking about all of that, I kind of assess the Bush, uh, the, the Bush, uh,
8: White House.
2: Well, and so we have, you know, Bush on the one hand, and then we have Obama, McCain, uh, you know, Biden, Palin on the other hand. What is, I mean, when you look at a woman like Sarah Palin who's on television at the debate or wherever, and she's speaking, I mean, what is the, what goes through your head as, as an American uh, when you see her talking?
6: Well, uh,
16: I, 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 just don't like the, uh, the, the snarkiness of her the, the, the kind of the, the perpetual smirk. Yeah, and and I don't know whether she's a good or bad person, but when she's speaking, it, it, like during the debate, it just sounded like you know she had memorized a lot of stuff because you know, I watched it very closely, I listened very intently, and she was answering different questions than the ones asked a few times. And I, I said, well, come on, lady, like if you meet, you know, do the right thing. And so that offended me. And uh, during her uh, RNC speech, I just thought it was. Uh, I don't know who she was playing to. I guess, you know, the undecided voters or, you know, the the, the rabbit fan base. But she kind of rubs me the wrong way. And, and when you see that she left Wasilla, uh, Alaska, in a great deficit where there was not one before she was mayor, um, that's something that should be talked about as well.
2: We got a, an email live out from a guy named Kevin, and he said, uh, Rick, could you thank Henry on his USO work? He said, in 2004, I was at Camp Falcon in Baghdad. It was a small base. Most of the USO people scheduled to come through canceled on us. Henry was pretty much the only guy who actually came to our teeny little base. He signed the guitar of a friend of mine uh, who immediately put laminating paper over to preserve it. The whole experience uh, made our week. So you, I mean, you've been very, and you don't brag about it. You don't you don't go out of your way to really announce it. But you do a lot of going over and talking to those, you know, the men and women who are, who are overseas. And it's... I guess it's more difficult for them than it could be for us. But is it? Is it? What is the vibe, the tone when you go over there recently, and you're talking to service
1: people who are stationed overseas?
16: Well, uh, you're talking to people at this point who are in their third and fourth rotation. So you know they're they're uh, they've been years into this. And Iraq and Afghanistan are very dangerous places. There's nowhere that's really safe. Any of these guys will tell you. Everywhere is hot. The green zone is hot. I mean, everywhere you go, you're, you know, you gotta be really careful. So these guys and gals, uh, you know, they, they get put through a lot. There's a lot of tension. And then there's like a lot of downtime. So there's like great bits of boredom with great bits of heightened anxiety and awareness. So there's a lot of adrenaline. So these guys are going up and down, great vicissitudes. And I think, uh, at a certain point, you're gonna start burning out. And so the vibe I get from when I talk to these people who are so incredibly brave, And energized and focused and disciplined. I mean, you get a real lesson when you meet these people. They're just so completely on it. It's, it's pretty, uh, it's humbling. Uh, I I get the feeling that they're motivated. They're doing the best they can, but from some of them, you get the idea that they, you know, they want to go home and meet their kid and they, they want to get onto something else. So, um, I don't hear people, you know, saying uh, I'm going to mutiny or whatever, but every once in a while you get someone saying, you know what, I'm I'm getting sick of this. You know, I'm in year five here, and this is uh, not so fun. But mainly, you just hear these guys uh, looking out for each other, uh, trying to get through the day, basically trying to get back to the dining facility by sundown without getting blown up, because like I said, this is very dangerous territory that these guys and gals are in.
2: We're talking to Henry Rollins, who's going to be at the Newmark Theater Monday, October 13th. I uh, I, I read something a while back, a, a guy, I forget who it was, some Jan Winner or somebody, and he made some statement. He said that the worse the social and economic and political situation gets, the better, in his opinion, music or art gets. So, you know, the bad times make good music and vice versa. And do you, uh, when you sort of look around the musical landscape, do you feel like we've got at least good music or art kind of coming out of this weird tunnel that we're in right now?
16: Well, I, I would somewhat agree with Mr. Winner's uh... Assessment. I think he makes more reference to Vietnam where people were getting drafted and you had like the MC5 and bands like that kind of making this incendiary rock and roll music uh, in reaction to the Vietnam War. Jimi Hendrix doing the great song Machine Gun with a, a voluntary military, you know, one that's not compulsory. I, I don't necessarily agree. I think music's really good, but I bet he and I are talking about vastly different bands. Um but, yeah, I think I have a radio show, so I'm trying to keep up on things, music, and I'm a fan. So I think music's really good right now. I don't think it has anything to do with the Bush administration or the invasion and occupation of Iraq. I think it has more to do uh, with the Internet, with technology getting more in the hands of, of people who could not normally afford it. Back, you know, when I was younger, like when you needed a lot of dough to get the gear and everything. And so I think there's a lot of cool, innovative people who might not have had a musical voice now are getting to take their laptop and make something happen. And so um, maybe or maybe he and I are both right in a way. Maybe it's a combination. But I just have not heard the basically America's version of the clash. You know what I mean? I haven't heard the reaction to all of this on an album where I go, wow, we're going to be talking about this one 100 years from now. So, uh, you know, like, like you hear the, the, the MC5 live album uh, kick out the jams. That was during wartime. That was during Vietnam. It's a very charged record, and you can hear the energy. It's, it's in reaction to what's going on. And, and, and so I think in these times, Americans enjoy a, a great deal of convenience. I mean, you don't have to pay attention to your country. It, you, know, you don't have to watch the debates. You don't even have to vote. And with technology being what it is, you don 't even really know have to know how to read. Yeah, I mean you can get by in America with with contributing very little, you know what I mean, and, and still you know get three square meals and 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 have your fun and so I think a lot of Americans have maybe taken a back seat that 's why I beg people to vote. I never tell them who to vote for, but I beg them that they you know take part in this in the, in the uh, you know the, the the social experiment that is democracy
2: well, this country as a car has been. You know pedal to the metal for so long that I think you know, people feel like well i you know i i don't have to i don't have to hit the gas or push the car's just going to coast without me well,
10: uh, well,
16: well yeah and and i'm you know i'm not i'm I'm loath to put Americans down, but what else do they know in right. that what else have you shown them you know there's never been a drought there's never been famine uh we've never been invaded you know it's not like uh, all of Indiana has to leave there's been some floods, there's been some awful bombings. You know, but not anything like that, what goes down in other countries, like to, to walk a, a day in Tel Aviv, there's a very heightened sense of, you know, something could happen.
15: Yeah, like and the- when you're in
16: Tel Aviv, the kind of people are sharp. They're looking around because they know any street corner, any, you know, any time, anywhere. In America, you know, we're very, very blessed in that we, we can take our hands off the wheel. And I think in the last 30 or 40 years, we've done it a little too much. I I would like to think that at least 90% of eligible uh, voters in America would vote. You know what I mean? You'd figure people would be excited to go out and let their voice be heard. You'd figure more people would be reading more, that we would not be 46th in literacy in the world, that we'd be leading the way in literacy.
2: You do, it reminds well, me uh, things have to change. a little bit of what Johnny Rotten said about God Save the Queen. And he said that, you know, he was talking about the strife and the economy. And he said, you know, you don't, people thought that I hated my country. he said, you don't write a song like God Save the Queen because you hate Britain. You write it because you love Britain and you need to slap people so they see what's happening to it. And there hasn't yes. been that scream here in America.
16: Well, it. You know, I think sometimes, like I'll say something on the radio or wherever. I'm, I, I said, "Look, you know, you, you've had five years of this war without end. Uh, your your economic uh, situation is in a real problem because of deregulation, because of these things that you know have been have been happening for the last several years. And if you want more of it, well, uh, so the rest of the world is going to have to just come to the conclusion that you like all of this. And I'll get hate mail. Like, you hate America. I, I hate America." I'm saying, like, let's all wake up and preserve this beautiful thing we have before we lose it. And I hate America. And and this is that that kind of disconnect. It's the Sean Hannity talking right. point. Right. Any scientist that tells him the world is heating up because of man, he'll say, well, you just hate America. Like, wow, that's just not the argument, not remotely the argument. You know, and so – that kind of discussion, that vocabulary, that has to change because you know, we really do need to start looking at, you know, alternate fuel sources and not drilling our way out of every problem. But that, that's this kind of mindset of if you say anything, then you, you hate the troops. And, and no one in America hates the troops. There might be one psychotic on a street corner barking at the sun, you know. But the rest of us, we like the troops even though we don't like this war because we don't like seeing these kids coming back legless or in a box, and And so the, the America is going to have to change the way we 're thinking about everything sooner than later.
2: Do you think people are going have to have to be forcibly confronted with those with those images with that with that truth because we've been largely shielded from a lot of that reality
16: Well, you can thank c n n for that I mean yeah, I, I think there's a profound lack of transparency in the media because if you saw what some of this looks like, I think a lot of people would start saying okay let 's uh, Let's let's start thinking differently. It could very well be that um, if you remember many years ago, when HIV and AIDS were, were just things contracted by homosexuals, so no one took it seriously because it's just those gay people. And then straight people started getting it. You know, normal people. And all of a sudden, Houston, we have a problem. Right. Maybe enough people uh, have to foreclose. Enough people have to all of a sudden be homeless to where all of a sudden a vast majority of Americans go, okay, we have to do something different so this doesn't happen to all these good people. Because in America, you shouldn't have people standing in front of their house being locked out of it. We should think better. A minimum wage should be you know supporting you, not making you work three jobs to get by. America should not be the thing that like, you survive in spite of. And, and so I, I think when more people are put out, Maybe things change, but as it is right now, uh, maybe some people are going to have to find out in the very hardest way. Like the guy's got to go through $3 million worth of cocaine to find out that cocaine ruins your family and screws your life up.
2: Talking to Henry Rollins, he's going to be at the Newmark Theater Monday, October 13th. Tickets at Ticketmaster.com. One final question as we wrap this up, and this is from a a listener who's a huge longtime fan of yours, and he says... Ever since I saw a show Henry recorded in Israel, I have wondered what he, an experienced, intelligent, wise traveler, would advise as a must-go place. I want to get that place out of the way first, so if I plummet into the ocean on the return flight, I can die knowing I hit the one requisite place on Earth before it happened.
16: Big Uh, question. Well, a really fun place to travel as far as seeing things where you just kind of stand in in awe is Egypt. Because when you stand in front of the Great Pyramid and the Sphinx, And uh, all the other places you can go, which there are many, and I've been to. I've been there twice, but, you know, that doesn't make me an expert. But as far as uh, every day having your mind completely blown by that which is standing in front of you, Egypt is that. Another place, as far as you'll never think the same way about anything again, if you can get to eastern India, like Calcutta, that is uh, mind-blowing. It's very sad parts of it, but um, everything will be different for you after that's over. All
2: right, uh, Henry, thank you so much for for doing what you do. You're going to be Monday, October 13th at Newmark Theater. Tickets uh, available at Ticketmaster.com. Best of continued success and and happiness to you, sir.
1: All right, see you down the road. Thank
2: you. Thank you, my friend. There you go. Henry Rollins. Richie, if you can uh, double-check and make sure that everything's good there on the uh, the other side of that, that would be fantabulous. All right, there you go.
1: That was outstanding.
2: I love that guy. Mm -hmm. I just, uh, he doesn't really hug, I don't think, but man. He's another guy that if I hugged and if he hugged, there would be mutual hugging. We'd hug it out. Wow. All right. There you go. Uh, I will say this one thing uh, before we uh, wrap it up about Henry Rollins. Uh, there's uh, somebody I know, who shall remain nameless, who was pondering whether to – I won't even say where – pondering whether to go on a incredibly, I would say, adventurous uh, trip way more than I would and a whole lot of issues involved with going, traveling to another country. And this person was like, I don't know, should I do it? Is it too dangerous? Is it too whatever? And I said, uh, you know, you ought to email Henry Rollins about that. And they laughed. And I said, no, 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 you know, he goes everywhere. He's tra- you just heard him talk about Egypt. He's gone everywhere, you know. And so this person emailed Rollins literally like nine minutes later, email back, like two paragraphs. Yes, you should go to this country. Here's how you do it. Here's what you don't do. Here's where you go. Ask for this guy at the corner stand. you give you some great falafel, Henry. And it was like nine minutes later, like in a weeknight, and I, you know. So that's when I begin. You might notice that I start. I've been answering my email a lot more over the last uh, six or eight months. I try to set aside not to be all about the greatness of me, but like an hour every morning to do nothing but answer email. And it's because of that. It's because Henry Rollins emailed somebody back, you know, in like ten minutes, on like a Tuesday night. So, how can I do anything less? Take a break. We come back. Tim, news for us? Oh yes. Fantastic. Don't go anywhere. It's the Rick Emerson Radio Program next. Ugh. Why, hello, it's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. All right, you know, I said at the beginning of the, of the day, I said it's going to be the best show ever. It's going to be a fantastic program. Amity, yeah. as you know, means friendship. And I was right on all counts. Great show, great day. Boy, am I exhausted, though. That Rollins thing went really well. Mm-hmm. All right. I love Henry Rollins. Uh, hey, real quickly, this will make you smile. The Las Vegas Review-Journal reports O.J. Simpson was so confident that he was going to beat the rap he already had an acquittal party planned. There you go.
10: Oh. Yeah.
2: Apparently many friends have been invited to uh, join O.J.'s entourage at yes, an undisclosed... Apparently. An undisclosed location.
3: I feel guilty <sighs> being friends with him.
2: He'd been predicting a hung jury, friend told the newspaper. He had a big shindig all planned. Uh-huh. Now he's planning a shiv dig. Ladies and gentlemen, at the Ministry of Truth, Tim Riley.
6: And now, no. now from the Ministry of Truth, this is Tim Riley.
1: Oh. Can it be true? Saturday Night Live is reportedly in tense talks. They get the real Sarah Palin to appear on the program before the election.
2: Only time will tell if this happens. That would just be surreal. That would bend my brain in yeah. half. You know, Tina Fey, even if, if she won't come on the show, Tina Fey, they should totally go and set up like an alternate... Uh, you know, like speech, uh, whatever, like they should find out where Sarah Palin's going to speak in public and then set up an alternate, like a mirror one a block away with Tina Fey.
3: Did you see that French newspaper how they had an article about Sarah Palin, but they accidentally used a picture wow. of Tina Fey? Wow. Really? It's the most genius thing. It's like, you know, VP, you know, nominee. Gold. Yeah, Sarah Palin. I'm like, that's Tina Fey.
2: Excellent. All right.
3: Another ugly
1: day on Wall Street. The Dow plunged 508 points to 94.47. The S&P 500 lost 61 points at 996. The Nasdaq down 108 points to 17.55. Oil prices rose $2 to $90. But the price of gas is supposed to go down by Thanksgiving to 3 bucks. $3.
2: So you
1: can, drive all those, you can drive to all those job interviews instead of taking them out. <laughs> is that
2: what we take now as a low gas price, $3? Yeah. All right. Because, I mean, I guess the point is, you know, why would they, I guess I'm channeling my inner Jim Cramer, but why would they ever, why would they ever put it below? I mean, they know we'll pay it. I'm wondering why they've actually even lowered it below $4. They know we'll pay $4. always do it
1: before the election.
2: Remember how we were actually saying at one point gas was going to be $6 by the end of the summer, and then we all just figured that once it was $6, they'd never lower that again.
1: So, Jesus. It's disappointing. They don't keep their promises.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Tim, I want Henry Rollins to come hug you. (laughs)
1: <laughs> I don't like being
3: touched. I know. I'm just... I'm not saying it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. I don't think that makes it any better if it's two people that don't want to touch people.
2: Well, I'm saying I certainly don't want to hug anybody, so why not have Henry be my proxy? All right. Are you going to prepare more news for the people today? Oh, yes. As only you can. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, Tim Riley, greatest newsman in the history of the world, back at four, five, six, and 7, top of the hour all the way through uh, us. Join us tomorrow when I guess, by the way, we'll include Mr. Skin from MrSkin.com, and I think Carl Click, although he hasn't confirmed yet. <coughs>
1: all right. I thought he approached you to do this.
2: He did, and then I emailed back, and I'm like, "Hey, here's Wednesday, 1 p.m., Chester. What do you say?" And he's, you know, mm-hmm. that's what he said. Nothing. Tumbleweeds through my mind, Tim. All right, uh, and this is all true. So we don't have time to do the. Uh, they don't have time to do the top five. Uh, we have to get to. I'm so torn. This worst song ever is kind of like a celebrity edition. So I wonder if I ought to play that, Sarah. And, I'm going to leave it up to you. I've got. The greatest songs ever made or I've got it's the worst song you've ever heard celebrity edition.
3: I think we, like, we've already like peaked with our sentimentality of the show. I think that we've already gotten done with all the you know, like the big emotive stuff. I really We're think done we with
2: happiness is what you're saying.
3: But I think we should go out on a stupid note. So I think that we should play the worst song ever.
2: This situation absolutely requires a really stupid and futile gesture. And be done on somebody's part.
3: And are we going to do the contest?
1: Oh damn. Yes. Yeah. Snap.
2: All right. Uh hey Richie, did you check this song for profanity? <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that
10: a yes? Yeah, i do understand
2: it. I like what I'm hearing. All right. Uh, let's see here. So where do we... Where are we? <laughs> I feel good about this. All right. Uh, this he is,
3: listens very... I, I, I see him scanning songs, but he listens very carefully. And I'll
2: say that the song itself is clean. Uh, it's a live performance. The song itself is clean. I didn't hear any profanity. But as will become abundantly clear in just a moment... It's a little bit of a puzzle, exactly what he's saying at any given moment. Ladies and gentlemen, and it breaks my heart to do this, I give you, it's the worst song. Remember that Amy Winehouse thing where she was singing Beat It? Beat It, yeah. So much worse.
3: That's not possible.
2: Let's all begin to weep. I give you the worst song you've ever heard. It's Ozzy Osbourne. Ah! never been a great vocalist but and strangely enough it's like i hear a bunch of other flawless aussies in the background doing harmonies but there's only one of him i don't know how that's possible And he's not even trying to form words. He's just sort of breathing out of his lips. The worst part is, um, as always, you know, the worst part, like with the White House thing, the band is really gamely playing along here. Uh, and you can see the band just selling it for all their worth behind him. Like, maybe if we play really, really well, no one will hear this. That's not true. Let's get to the little breakdown part here, and then we'll uh, put an end to this. Uh, the one and only Zach Wild on guitar here. I mean, it's not like he's one of the three tenors or anything, but...
8: That echo really helps.
10: Oh, uh,
1: we'll just we'll call that good.
2: There you go, ladies this and gentlemen. Break. I suppose back after this, it's the Rick Emerson Show. We now enter the saddest part of the broadcasting day, the final segment of the Rick Emerson radio program. Like us next. Michael Mara Show at 7, John and Jeff at 11. Don't forget, uh, tomorrow, I guess we'll include uh, Mr. Skin from MrSkin.com, and Lisa Desjardins with a recap of tonight's presidential debate, which maybe I'll watch it, maybe I won't.
3: I think I'll like, have it on in the background, but I'm not going to be actively watching
2: That's it. There you go. Uh, all right, so uh, we're going to do this. We're going to give what they call this is a, a radio term. This is the call to action. Uh, we're going to endeavor to give away some uh, Henry Rollins tickets. Uh, we will take caller number 5 right now at 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. We'll take caller number 5, and then you will play our 60 Seconds of Speaking uh, contest. And uh, if you uh, succeed, you'll get a pair of tickets to see Henry Rollins next Monday, October 13th at the Newmark Theater. Uh, it says, to celebrate the end of the Bush era, Henry is hitting the road with a brand new Election Time Talking Tour. Tickets available at Ticketmaster. Uh, dot com. All right. Uh, so that is the call to action. It's 503 While we're waiting for the 40 seconds of delay to be used up for you to hear this and to call in, uh, we're now going to begin speaking about something else, which you won't hear for another 40 seconds. Weirding me out. Um, Crazy. So, this is so you're now I can, I can say this right. Your birthday is Thursday, yes. Okay, and
3: I'm gonna be turning the big two eight.
2: See, I wasn't gonna say it, I was gonna say you'll be 20 something.
3: Oh, I'm not, I, I, I'm looking forward to 29.
2: But You're gonna reach a point, you're gonna reach some year where it's gonna be like a breaking point, though. And I'm gonna go, you're turning th-, and you'll go, no, <laughs> 29. That's it. So, I'll uh, be your 20. Uh, Sarah is turning at 28 uh, this Thursday, so be sure to uh, call up and wish her happy birthday on Thursday. So, your friend Lisa. Um, who, I mean, Lisa's great, but I had no idea how great Lisa is until you told me that Lisa's, is is this true, that Lisa's birthday present to you is that she's coming over and cleaning your apartment?
3: Okay, so see, none of us really have a lot of money. So I was mm-hmm. thinking about it. I'm like, what Lisa does really well is like she, she, you know, has a couple kids. She keeps her house really nice and clean. And I look at these things and I see how clean her place is, and I don't even understand what she's cleaning in order for it to, to look like that. Yes, else. I understand. So, so I told her I'm like, hey, you know what? You could do for free. It's like come over. We'll have some beer. We'll, you know, clean my apartment top to bottom, and then I'll have, you know, a couple people over for dinner. And by yeah. "will,"
2: you mean she'll clean your apartment top to bottom?
3: Well, I'll. Pretend to be cleaning.
2: Well, that's fine. No, you're the birthday girl. It no, I'm gonna, no, we're,
3: we're going to clean together. But, I just, uh-huh. yeah, she's going to help me clean my apartment. You're gonna, like, it's free. And, you know, it, mean, it means something to me. And that way, you know, I won't have to do it for another six months.
2: You're going to drink while watching somebody else clean your place. That's fine. I There's know. nothing to be ashamed of. Well, you know what? It, 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 when, I am the
3: birthday girl.
2: When Laura and I used to have a housekeeper, they would clean stuff. And I know this makes me look like a rube, and I'm glad Tim isn't here. Things that I would never think to clean.
3: That's exactly what it is. Because I'm like, I don't know what she is cleaning in her house to make it look, uh, you know, to make it look so nice.
2: You know what I never thought of? Uh, the racks in the refrigerator.
3: I've never cleaned those.
2: Who would uh, clean the I refrigerator? Clean it's
3: not like you're eating off of it. That's
2: what I'm saying. Under the underside of the faucet. Uh,
3: you know what I mean? Why would you clean there?
2: Because, because you're a housekeeper, and that's what you do. She cleaned the underside of the underside of the faucet Gleamed. cleaned. My whole thing is, no one ever looks there. doesn't need to be cleaned. She totally cleaned it. So, um Right. Yes,
3: yeah, so that's what I'll be doing all afternoon.
2: I want to know, by the way, that it was considered an unacceptable birthday present when I said that my wife's birthday present could be, to me could be uh, to always have at least a quarter tank of gas in the car. Laura's like, what do you want for your birthday? And I'm like, you know what I want for my birthday? Don't leave the car on empty. Always leave the car with at least a quarter tank of gas. And it was, I was told I was a jerk for that, incidentally, by you. And nah, other that was people. Jerky. <laughs> and, but, and yet, it's okay for your birthday. What you? have for your birthday, Sarah? You Come clean my apartment.
3: Her biggest concern right now is her financial, her finances. And who am I to take away from her finances? And instead, you know, I'm so just you're paying her, couple, her, which is good. I'm just taking out a couple hours of you know of her own time to help me do something that she doesn't mind doing in the first place.
2: Wait, what does that have to do with her finances? You're not paying her.
3: No, I know, but she's not spending anything on a birthday present for me.
2: Oh, I see. Is this the and lie? I'm buying the beer
3: on the way home. Okay. So, so in, in turn, she's getting free beer for helping me clean my okay. apartment. Okay, done
2: and done. Okay, right. never mind that. <laughs> I can totally see that. All right. It's five zero three seven three three two nine seventy. And here's the thing. I really do buy that explanation, but even if I didn't, it would be genius. Like, mm-hmm. even if I thought that was a, a big load, that's a great little, uh, I mean, it actually do. It does make sense. I've to
3: work my spin on it a
2: little I was going to say, even as pure spin, though, it would be effective. Uh, <laughs> no, no, no. I'm really saving her. I, it, Rick, it's me doing her the favor. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's go to caller um, five. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Are you ready to play for Henry Rollins tickets?
7: Yes, I am.
3: Wow, All right. you don't blow up because there's only like two minutes left.
2: You're a man. Uh, and so here's the deal. In honor of Sarah Palin, you must do some speaking. you got to speak for 60 seconds about something you probably know nothing about. Uh, there's no like no um rule, but you must maintain forward momentum. You can't quit talking. Do you understand that? Yes. All right, sir.
3: You feeling confident? Yeah. All
2: right, sir. You must speak for 60 seconds about the television program, The Hills. In three, two, one, begin.
5: The Hills is out. Uh, is this great new show on uh, on on
14: CBS? It's, it's about this, this series of friends, and um, uh, they, they live above a coffee shop, and, oh, God, I suck at this.
3: <laughs> <laughs> the end.
2: All right. You lose. <laughs> thank you. All right. Thank you. All right. There you go. Was he just going to start describing the show Friends?
3: I think so. I, I, I saw that.
2: I almost would have given him points. Sir, not to, I mean, look, you've already gone, but I, I, you should have just done that. You
3: should have just. Because it's just. It's forward momentum. Because that guy didn't know what he was talking about with manicure. There's
2: no rule. You have to know what you're talking about. But I mean. the hills
3: it, too mean? I thought it was pretty, like, infiltrated into pop culture. Well, here's
2: the thing. If it had been a woman, we were going to say Burt Reynolds. We had to talk about Burt Reynolds for 60 seconds. Mm-hmm. And then I said, well, what should a guy talk about? You said the hills. I mean, you know, speaking of the. But as I said, if he just talked. To, if he had just described the Waltons, you know? If he had just described, uh, you know, like, Alf for 60 seconds and claimed it was the Hills, that still would have worked. No,
3: see, like, with Burt Rollins, I would just go on and on about how dreamy he was. and just That's all you have to do. You don't have to you know go. a lot about him. Just kind of take the one thing you do know and run with it.
2: See, that's the thing about Sarah Palin. You just take the one tiny shred of knowledge you have and you just sell it in a forceful fashion. And that would, uh, and, you know, that's what you should have done. You did not do that. You lost. Alright. Uh, well, we'll do it again tomorrow. That gives us two pairs for tomorrow. So uh, tomorrow we'll uh, have another uh, shot at this uh, Henry Rollins tickets You can get them also at the Ticketmaster.com. Amberdum. All right, we want to thank Henry Rollins, Nina Parker from TMZ.com. Uh, we want to thank Lisa Desjardins, Ed McCarthy, and CNN radio correspondent James Roop. Join us tomorrow, and I guess we'll include Mr. Skin from Mr. Skin.com. Are we uh, done here? Do I have like 40 seconds? How much longer do we have? Sometimes I can't tell. I lose my place in this bed because it's all like
3: it's just a loop. Uh, we're, uh, uh, yeah. I didn't mean to throw you So <laughs> What's going on? Best day ever! You maintained all the way through, though. You know, you were scared earlier this morning. You're not blowing it until the last minute of the show.
2: Tim, come to another bike and hike spot. Rick Emerson, show produced today and every day by the lovely and talented Sarah Xillen for am 97, The Talker in the newsroom, Tim Riley the phone. Richard Bristol, the gatekeeper. Dave's in. Web Bridget from upstairs. CBS Radio, Portland Marketing Guru. Susan, don't F with me, Reynolds. Like us next. Michael Mara, show at 7. Thanks for listening. Be safe. Watch out for snakes. See you at 10 for the recap. 11 for the show. Bye now.
10: Girls with ass and booze at the same time just don't look right.